You are listening to the Grassroots StarCraft 2 podcast, episode 10, originally released on February 9th, 2023. This episode will be an interview with Grandmaster Protoss player, streamer, and co-caster extraordinaire from Australia, Sephiron. All right. Hello, Internet. Hey, I how's it going? I just realized that I botched the intro. I, I, only, did the, I only did the voice, so we're just going to roll with it. Um, it's probably been about a month since I did the podcast, and even a month of not doing it, I feel a bit rusty. So, yeah. Uh, welcome to That's the show, right. Sephiron. <laughs> we're going to roll with the punches. It's going to yeah. be good. Trust me. You're going to yeah. have to trust me on that one. Yeah, I definitely trust you on that one uh, from the, the pre-show talk we had last week uh, it's it's going to be a, a good and potentially even spicy episode mm. all right well yeah thank you for coming on the show Sephiron. uh this is episode 10 of the grassroots starcraft 2 podcast uh really exciting week for starcraft 2 i'm sure a lot of fans know it's uh iem katavice this week i got a chance to catch a couple of the games and they were pretty pretty wild so maybe before we jump into the list of topics here uh, first impressions for you on Katowice? Man, I wish I'd seen more of it. I haven't been able to watch like anything at all. But uh, I did hear there's been a few upsets, so I'm looking forward to watching them over the next few days, which I've got off from work. So we'll see, but it's going to be uh, replays for me. Yeah, yeah. I guess no spoilers if you haven't seen a lot of the matches. I've only seen a couple of them kind of in between meetings for work, but uh, it seems like every every match, every set, of matches is like almost like gsl quality of matches um and it's we're nowhere we're nowhere even near the finals so it's, it's a super exciting time to be a starcraft fan i think in the middle of the day today like america time there was over ten thousand people on the stream on a weekday so it's yeah it's been uh it's definitely been popping off i did get to see some of beyond's play and he was looking he was looking fire lately so that was uh that was pretty incredible to see yeah. that level of control yeah, um, Beyond had a pretty interesting interview with Artosis. Um, Artosis was kind of grilling him about his uh, <laughs> set of num limited number of builds that he uses, and and Beyond just kind of fired right back at him. So it was a pretty fun time. Well, that's true. Uh, Beyond is definitely a man of like two or three builds, but he crushes it every time. So I guess yeah. it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Showing that Terran only needs one build per race. Confirmed. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> a little bit of uh, banter from the Protoss side of things. Okay, so uh, let's talk about the, the format of this podcast. Um, for folks that are familiar or if you're a first-time listener, uh, we have different categories uh, we're going to be talking about here. Uh, so the first category will be Sephiron as a player. We'll talk about Sephiron as a streamer. Uh, for this episode, we're going to go into him as a caster and kind of dive into the community a bit. Uh, we have the fan section, and if we have enough chat engagement, or really any chat engagement, we can do some live text-based Q&A with chat. And then we'll f finish up with the outro, where you can just kind of plug your socials and yeah. Yeah, have some fun with it. Awesome. Okay, so jumping right into the player section... Um, let's talk about the ID, Sephiron, and I don't even know the answer to this question. Um, 
let's talk about the pronunciation. Like, am I saying it right? And uh, maybe well, you that... are. Okay, you are saying it right. So, <laughs> like, uh, I guess we can we can actually go back a little bit deeper than this. So, I used to go by Dragonite way way back when. So, I was Dragonite since like uh, 2012 to about 2018 or something like that, and then I swapped it to Sephiron. So the reason for the swap was because I wanted to develop more as a player. I felt like I was playing way too cheesy and being way too aggressive online, and I needed to develop my my foundation of who I was as a player. And to do that, I needed to change my name. So I created the separate account of Sephiron. I'm like, I'm going to dedicate any time you're playing on the Sephiron account, you're not allowed to be cheesy. You have to be solid. And then I, I moved into that name after that. So that's kind of the, uh, the birth of that name. That's so interesting. I, re I recall maybe the past month or so I had tuned into your stream and I, I think I randomly, I, sometimes I request streamers. I'm like, hey, do, do a cheese. And uh, you responded to me. You're like, no, that's that's just not what I do. That's not my style. So this really... Well, people still think I'm cheesy, so it's still okay. <laughs> so so Dragon <laughs> Dragonite goes back to uh, is the Pokemon, right? That's right. That's yeah. right. That feels like uh, big cuddly, but overpowered as fuck. So it's pretty good. Yeah, it was a uh, was that fire. It was like a fire dragon. It was it was lightning, lightning dragon. Was oh, that? lightning. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's it's been a while since I played Pokemon. I only played the first handful of titles, like red, blue, yellow. I think it was. So they were the first few. Yeah. So what, what about? So how did you land on like Saffron? Like, what is the origin of that? Aside from you, so, you want to switch from like Cheezer? Yeah, I wanted players. to swap. I wanted to swap names. Good. Uh, good questions. So, um, but I was thinking about it and I've always had a fascination with dragons. So I was thinking to myself, like, what's a good dragon name? And then I actually had an image. I could probably go and see if I can find it for you. I found an image on Google of what I wanted my name to kind of represent. And originally it was like an undead lightning dragon. So lots of blacks, lots of light blues. And I wanted to kind of build my name around that. And then I kind of came up with the name Sephiron because it sounded like an undead lightning dragon to me. That's the D&D &D, uh, running through my veins. But that's, that, uh, that's how I came across it. That's, that's awesome. Um, yeah, separate of StarCraft too. I, I've, I've been playing a lot of World of Warcraft. And of course, the latest expansion is, is Dragonflight. So it's, it, remi it reminds me of that from kind of recent times. Okay, so you started off as Dragonite, but then once you realized, you know, I want to play more, a bit of a more of a macro style, uh, and not be known as much as like a cheeser or like all in type of style, um, you switched to Sephiron. And I, I think, I think there's there's different like, like under there's different viewpoints of like cheesing and all inning. And I, I think a lot of people, maybe even myself included, it even to this day, think that if you play only cheese or you only play one type of style that you're like a bad person or you're a bad player. And I'm really trying to come with grips, come to the grips that anybody can play this game any way they want. It's kind of like, if you're a macro player, you're more respectable, you're more mature, you're a, um, on more of an honorable type of player, but what differentiates like wh why? I don't know how it came to this way. I'm, I'm, well, Prior actually, to... you're asking some really, really great questions, and we're going to go into some psychology here for a little bit, because this also de delves on the uh, the name change. So during the name change, I was also a little bit BM, or by a little bit, I was quite BM, I should say, and the name change was also to get me out of that BM, as well as changing my style and all that. Now, I didn't start BM. You kind of get forced to become BM, because everyone on ladder is BM towards you. 
mm-hmm. you know? You become a product of your environment. So if you're a cheeser and this is just the way you play and you love it because it is really fun and like doing the micro wars like that, because people don't seem to understand, but the micro wars at the beginning can be some of the best parts of the game. So if you're doing a proxy four gate, but you're microing your heart out on those little zealots, that's incredibly entertaining for some people. But then if you're only rewarded with you're a terrible person, you know, this is this is how I want you to, to die virtually, people wishing death upon you because of this style that you're having. It's very, very easy to get into a mentality of, I'm going to be toxic back, you know? So toxic breeds toxic, and that's part of the problem about being a cheese. It's like, if you're cheesing every game, you've got to have a really strong constitution to keep up with all the BM and not be BM. And I could not do that, so I fell into BM. So it is probably better for your health to be a macro player, but you've got to be really, really careful if, if all you do is cheese, because it'll, it'll kind of force you into that BM. Yeah, that's a really great point. I didn't, I didn't really think about how you can adopt like kind of the personality or the, the experiences you have from ladder. And even if you weren't uh, BM, you know, for folks that don't know, like that's ba- uh, bad manner in RTS or specifically StarCraft II community. So being bad manner, saying bad things to your opponent, um, it's a really toxic cycle. And I, used, I really admittedly used to play like that. I used to be very toxic on ladder uh, probably like five, six years ago. And I took a break from the game. I came back. And I think one of the things I realized is that I don't want to be toxic anymore. I, I still mix in a bit of cheese, but I um, I try my best to like not be toxic. If some, Especially if someone initiates, like you said, right? Someone initiates to you. And it might be that knee-jerk reaction of like, I just want to say something back to them. And I think if we can foster a community where... We, we stop it and dead, is, dead in its tracks, right? Like if someone's BM to you, you either don't respond, you block. That's probably like the safe bet, but you could even go above and beyond and like say something nice to them. You know, like if, if they beat you or, or even if they don't beat you, you could just say like, hey, you know what? That was that was a really fun game. Uh, it was, you did a great job. And maybe we can start to foster something like this in the grassroots scene or even transcend into the semi-pro and pro scene. Um, yeah it's hard man it's hard especially when you're playing like a lot of the pro guys we play all day every day you know like to be up there at like a five six level and above you've got to be putting in a lot of effort to be able to maintain that so a lot of these guys are playing for like four to eight hours every day and if all you're getting is hate it's so easy to throw back hate so it takes constant constant being like i'm not going to be that guy anymore to be able to get back out of it so it just dedication is and it's hot it's not easy i think ego is a big part of it because i had an experience in um in world of warcraft recently where somebody was critiquing some of my play and my knee-jerk reaction was to like rage like respond and then i i thought about i stopped because i was ready to just like type on my keyboard and yeah (laughs) and and i i actually took it as constructive criticism like feedback i'm like you know what i need to turn my mindset around and look at this person's perspective. I'm doing something wrong here. I can improve. And I mean, I'm sure that's how you got to Grandmaster, right? Like you didn't start out this game. Maybe that's what we can, we can jump into for the next topic here is, um, you know, when did you start playing StarCraft 2? And uh, were you always a high-level player from kind of past RTS experience or did you start at Bronze? Oh, I started pretty low. I think I started at Silver way back in uh, Wings of Liberty. So I started the game a week after release of Wings of Liberty. My brother bought the account and we would share the account. 
And uh, I remember being gold in teams. And this was back when we actually, you could get demoted. I know you can get demoted now, but there was a time where you could get demoted and then they removed the ability to be demoted and now it's back in there. But I got demoted from gold to silver and the enemy messaged me. is like, yeah, get back to silver where you belong. And I was like, never again. <laughs> never again will I be silver. So that was, uh, I, don't know, I still remember that to this day, which is kind of funny. That's why I, I'm already learning something from you from this podcast. Like I, I knew that, the beginning, the beginning of StarCraft Two, like Wings of Liberty timeframe, like you said, that you could get demoted if your MMR went below the threshold of a certain, you know, league. And I, I knew that they removed that, but I thought that was still the current state of the game. I didn't know that you could have like a mid-season demotion. Uh, assuming oh, yeah, you don't, yeah, yeah. like, uh, do you mean that you could if demote you, after a game? Like, uh, I'm assuming there was a hidden MMR system back then, so you didn't get numbers of MMR. You right. just had your rank. Yep. So there'd be some undefined number. And I must have been still in placement matches or something equivalent to that for teams at that time. And you went past some sort of unknown number or entity, and then it just triggers the demotion. So there's, there's no warning that you were going to get demoted. No seeing the impending doom or anything like that. You just got demoted or you just got promoted. But that did mean that the, the promote to GM was really special back then. That was like crazy levels of excitement. Yeah, so I mean, you you tell me you started out in Silver League. You did was it gold in in teams? Um, it was well, not for long. So let's say silver, silver overall, pretty okay. much. Okay, okay. And then how long were you silver? Like, how did what was the timeline progressing ultimately from silver to GM? Well, I couldn't tell you how long I was in silver for, but I was in. I think I was in Masters in 2012. So I think I got first time GM was about 2013. And then I started participating in events in at around 2014. Okay, so the it took you about let's say two, two to three years. I mean, two years at the earliest to go from silver to master. A very respectable time frame, honestly. It's a massive jump in skill. And then 20, you said 2014, you started really competing at probably like a GM level. Is that correct? Is that correct? Uh, in tournaments, yes. In tournaments, yeah. And so these were mostly online tournaments or was it any in person well, back, yeah yeah there was a few of them in person we had the australian star league the asl that i started participating in which was pretty good and there was a lot of open tournaments for uh, australia back then australia actually had one of the strongest scenes when it comes to local tournaments and they didn't exactly have a lot of international talent turning up at that time so it was really entertaining really fun i didn't do very well in them i gotta say but uh i made it through the open bracket a few times and it was it was a lot of fun it was like kind of golden age for australia starcraft i can imagine pig competed back then and i remember uh i guess wasn't he a terran i uh, guess is, was amazing still yeah. is kind of yeah yeah for sure. i'm trying to and think King of other Kong. Australian players who did it, Moonglade, but I think uh, he went over to Korea pretty quickly. Oh, Moonglade, yeah, the Zerg, yeah, and then didn't he cast GSL too? He did. He did for a while. Yeah, he did very well. Wow, memories for sure. Okay. So yeah, you're you're competing in 2014, um, and and this whole time you've been you've been Protoss. Like, did you start out as Protoss in Silver, or uh, did you kind of 
dabble with different races? So uh, I did Terran to begin with, and um, everyone remembers the uh, the seven pool cheese rushes. And I, I was like, I've had enough. I had enough of these zergs, like 12, just ling flooding me all the time. So I'm like, and I was looking around, I'm like, Protosses have sentries. They can just force field the ramp. That's OP as shit. <laughs> so, so I'm like, I swapped to Protoss specifically for the sentry to force field out lings from getting in my base. I got, I got so mad. And that's uh, that's it. We've come full circle with the sentry because Wings of Liberty sentry openers were so popular, like three gate sentry opener. And, uh, you know, I guess there was Century Immortal with like parting. But for a while, I, I think even still now, like this patch now, I'd say that it's full circle with the sentry because I think, isn't it, the build time got reduced for sentry with this most recent patch? Something with the Honestly, sentry happened. Uh, yeah, something with the sentry happened, but it's it's a pretty minor change. Um, Sentry is always going to have a place because it's such a such a versatile unit when it comes to scouting and defense. So it's just really, really good for solid play. So it'll always have a place in professional StarCraft. Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, prior to Oracle, Oracle, you know, you had to hallucinate in uh, certain scenarios, I imagine, to get the scout off. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially PvP, like the the Sentry timing is is super super important. Okay, so you're like, let's talk, continue along the timeline here. You're competing in 2014. That's the local scene, like you're saying, in Australia is super strong. Mm. Um, and let, let's, you know, in these competitions, let's talk about like the different matchups, right? Like PvP, PvZ, PvT. What, what is, what would you say like when you're competing back then or even to this date? What's your favorite matchup? Well, back then it was ooh, one of my favorite matchup now. So back then it was definitely PvZ. So uh, we can tie this in, like, I think one of your questions is, when did you get GM or something like that? So we can tie that in there as well. So back then, it used to be um, Forge Nexus openers every game or the, uh, the the quick cannon rushes and stuff like that. And I played this really toxic style of just cannon their base, take a Nexus, cannon everything, and just get up to carriers and push, right? That's pretty much that's pretty much how I played, and that's how a lot of the uh, the pro scene played at the time. It was terrible, but people people loved it. So that was that was a lot of fun for an extended period of time. And the first time I got GM, I went on a tear on ladder for like five or six hours. I got nothing but PVZ and I just carried them every single game. And I had like this three pages of wins and then I got GM. I'm like, carriers gave me the GM, you know? So that's, uh, that's pretty much how I played and people hated it. Yeah, uh, Forge Fast Expand, FFE, I remember that. I remember that being part of the meta and uh certainly not part of the meta nearly as much anymore to this day no wow. like uh since the change from um heart of the swarm to legacy it's, it's kind of gone by the roadside you can still get away with it there's still certain builds but the responses are very strong from the zerg so you need to be very very careful yeah definitely okay so you really you really favored the the forge fast expand like you said cannoning containing your your enemy and and building up to to carriers you which... get up like five or six bases every base has like eight cannons on them and then five or six star gates uh, you can imagine that the zerg players were not impressed <laughs> yeah and this was you probably needed for uh tacking up like that you needed the extra cannons because i imagine this was prior to, to shield battery so this was prior yes yeah. Yeah, it was just uh it was just a very slow, like a very cheesy start into a very slow expand. 
sort of uh, constricting play. And so let's, let's talk about Grandmaster. Like you're competing in 2014. At, at what point were you already Grandmaster when you started competing locally, or you were? Yeah, yeah, I was. Uh, I was. I did it after I got GM. Okay, so you 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 met the goal of of getting Grandmaster League, and then you started. You felt more comfortable about competing, especially in person. Yeah, well, like this this gets really really interesting because if we're going to talk about history, then we got to talk about the entirety of the history. There's a lot going on. So the Australian scene was very, very strong, but also very, very toxic. And I can safely say the Australian scene now is better than it's ever been. The guys at the top are very, very cool guys. But back then, it's either you're in the scene or you're not in the scene. You know, it was very polarized between accepted and not accepted. So getting in at 2014 is actually getting in late, you know. So it took me a long time to get accepted by the community. And I got picked up by a team called Dynasty Gaming. And they had actually removed a player because that player was 2BM. And essentially what I got from Dynasty Gaming was they would pay for my hotel and my flight. And then um, I would give them whatever I won from a tournament, which was never really that much. You know, like I didn't... Dragonite never really got off the ground that high. So, but what ended up happening was that guy really started making some very aggressive... Uh, pages on what used to be the old um, Australian website, what was it? It was called like uh, SC2SEA, I think it was. Let me see if I can find it even. SEA. Yeah, SC2SEA. He made a few posts on there, pretty much just being like, this guy is terrible. He, he stole my spot and just a uh, hate smear campaign. So it took a long time for me to, to bring that back, which was uh, which was very, very hard. To do in a in a scene which is so closed like the australian scene so that was very hard as well yeah that's that sounds difficult to break in if it's a very like you said polarizing community or the, the top you know performing players in a particular region um so it's it's very respectable that you were able to accomplish that you know kind of break through into the scene uh be accepted by other players and I can only imagine if you're trying to well, compete. It, it took years. Like, that's what, like, it, it honestly, to change the perspective took like four or five years, you know? Yeah. And you would still turn up to events and have people go up to you and be like, I saw that one thread about you and I expected you to be completely different, but you're actually a nice guy, you know? Right. And um, there was a guy actually who I owe a lot to. He doesn't play anymore, but he was called Juno. And anyone in the uh, Australian scene remember Juno, this crazy Zerg player. Zerg, but I essentially, remember. Yeah, do you know Juno? I, I remember <laughs> um, the name, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. he was like a Masters player, so he wasn't like super high up the ladder, but he knew everybody. And I went to one of these local events, and Pig and some other the uh, pro players, they turned up. And what they did was uh, we all went out to Korean barbecue afterwards, and... Um, they uh they put all the pro players on the same table together so i i did well enough that they allowed me to attend that table and juno like attended it as well and then we all went out to uh karaoke afterwards and then juno did a lot for me just being like making people like talking about me to other people being like he's not actually as bad as you expect him to be you know so that that was really really cool you know and that, that helped me a lot yeah, that's wow. This um, I, I've been to live events, and so this is a diff really a different perspective. I've, I've primarily been a fan and you know uh, noob player, 
but to to hear the the side of the story from a pro like semi pro and well especially when you're on the scene like is like if you ever go up like I, my first tournament I did I didn't drop a map through the uh, open bracket I even took out the guy who won the previous tournament in the open bracket for that particular round so I came in super super strong. And then I played on main stage for my first game and I was just, I was all nerves and I got absolutely obliterated by Mighty Kiwi in round one of the first tournament that I went to on stage. And you go off and people are just tearing into you about how terrible your play was. And like, that's really painful, you know, like uh, half, half of StarCraft, half of pro StarCraft is being able to deal with other people's opinions, you know, and you can't really let that get to you, but it is very, very hard. It sounds uh, similar, if not identical, to other sports. You know, if, um, you know, like LeBron has a bad night or, or something like that, people rip into him, oh, he's not the GOAT or whatever. And and so I imagine it's already, like you said, it's difficult enough to lose um, probably an online cup, but you're talking about in person, especially going on, on stage, right? Like you're, you get the nerves, uh, your, your palms are sweaty, you're just, there's an audience there, and then you lose, you know, best of three, best of five, and... You're already feeling bad about yourself and it's it's like you're already down and somebody just is is kicking you um i i, I hope it's i hope the scene's better now as far as like people it losing is, matches actually. it oh, seems like man. it is yeah it, it, it really is does so seem... much better like people have matured the australian scene in particular is way more accepting than it used to be like the guys who are left the guys like uh players that you might not know like run amok like pez like probe like, uh, to a lesser extent, Azure, like, these guys who um, sit in the Discord together, they're, they're actually really accepting now. And it's really, really cool to sit and talk with those guys, and they'll accept any player who's a StarCraft player now. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, I see I see that in... in I'm, I'm on a bunch of Discord servers for StarCraft 2, and I don't, I don't keep up with them. It's mostly just to have visibility of different areas of the scene, but... You know, I see in like all things Zerg, you know, I see not as much ATZ. I think it's all things Protoss, actually. Like you see high level players like Eba just chatting with people uh, or like, you know, Gemini and he's in Korea. Um, so and you it, see Scarlet going out of her way quite a bit as well to talk to the low level players. And like I've seen her in other like Twitch streams that have like three or four people. You know, and Scarlet's just chilling there, talking with them. Like that's got to be amazing, you know. That is, uh, from for our grassroots StarCraft Two podcast, that is amazing to hear that like a pro player is, you know, I think it's uh, Baby Link stream actually. I think I was watching Baby Link stream. You know, she's a, a high diamond, low master league type of Zerg player, mm. and I saw Scarlet. I think this is what kind of what you're referring to here. So yeah, that would be exactly it. Scarlet's yeah. everywhere. Okay. Um, let's, I'm kind of bouncing around topics here. So let's, let's stay on track of you as a player here. Um, what is your favorite, like current unit in the game? Oh, it's, it's still got to be the disruptor. I love those juicy hits. So they got nerfed a little bit, but I'll take it. It's still a good unit. It's certainly not as bad as the, uh, original patch made it look like it was going to be. 
and there is nothing sweeter about setting up that perfect trap. You got the Observer, your Terran players moving out across the map with their three racks play, and you get that perfect disruptor shot, and you see them like react like a second too late, and three quarters of the army is gone, and then just units start moving after the fact. It's like, oh no, you're fucked now. That's the best. Yeah, the realization. Uh, mm. I've seen a lot of Holy Hit. Um, I think he's a German Protoss. He has a lot of great TikTok clips, a lot of a lot of good reels of disruptor shots, um, like mind blowing disruptor shots. And from the Protoss perspective, it seems so enjoyable. But I can only imagine mm. your heart sinking as a Terran player. Oh yes. All right, so favorite unit disruptor. Uh, let's go on to the. Let's talk about MMR for a bit here. I know a lot of people get caught up on MMR, and it seems like the higher up you go, the, there's certain ranges where you might care about it more or you care about it less. Um, what's your current MMR range? Yeah, so when I'm at my worst, I'm probably around 5.2. And when I'm at my best, I'm about 5.7. So uh, I think I'm about 5.5. Five, six right now and i've been able to maintain that for a few months and i'm really really happy about that but breaking into five seven lately has just eluded me i've been close but i haven't been able to get it back just yet wow five five two i mean a lot of a lot, a lot of streamers i watch they peak at that and so for you to have you know that's your that's your on your on the low end it really kind of distinguishes the skill the skill difference not to discredit other people that I watch or other players, but uh, five seven is really up there. And I want to say that you. I'm trying to think of other get previous guests. Uh, I want to say you might be the highest MMR person I've interviewed for the podcast, and I might be, have a new record. I might have to check fact check that and make a tweet about it. But five seven is really up there. You're you're if you're at five seven, you're in like fighting distance of six K players, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. I took um I took a map off Nina recently in our in-house tournament so that was actually that was pretty special so uh being able to do something like that was was pretty good so you can absolutely take some games not series but games off some of these 6k players right right yeah and that must feel how did you feel after taking a game off anita well i streamed it so you guys should check the stream <laughs> i lost my shit <laughs> i think it was like oh shit 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 oh shit 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 oh my god shit, shit, shit. i think that's the uh that was the feeling i, I would feel the, i would feel the same way <laughs> maybe we can try to find that clip and we can we can throw that in the show notes it'd be good for for folks to check that out all righty i'll see if i can uh it'll be oh i'll have to find the exact moment but that's all right yeah, let's, for sure. Uh, let's see if I can find it while we're talking. Okay, so five two to five seven, insanely respectable MMR range. Uh, we've kind of talked about this previously, but uh, let's talk about your play style. So you said you know you started off as cheese as as your ID Dragonite. You made this pact to yourself. I, I want to be a macro player. So that's how you switched to the Sephiron ID. Uh, do you do you still do any cheese at all? You're like a hundred percent macro type of well, player. Well, it, it's definitely not 100% macro. So I should I should really reiterate that otherwise people are going to be very angry with me. I'm still definitely a more cheesy player, but not cheesing all the time. 
was uh was i guess was was the goal or moving away from like there's different levels of cheese if you're if you're going for like a two base all in that some people might say is a bit cheesy it's very different than like a proxy proxy four gate all in or a proxy void ray all in or or something like that so i've definitely developed my playstyle a lot and um like we're uh, definitely going more into scouting and stuff like that and my mmr is is risen there because of it but um, I'll, I'll always have a couple of these all-ins or super cheeses up my up my sleeve that we can get into. Yeah, it's a, it's good that you have you still have a variety. I mean, it's majority macro, but I think to especially if you're gonna be you're in the higher MMR tier, you know, you're five two to five seven. It's probably a certainly more limited population of players you're gonna you're gonna face, and they're if you're only gonna do macro like only one type of style. That's where I think metagame can really come into play, where they just they just know how you play every time, and so if you have a, a little bit of an arsenal of, of builds and styles, it seems uh, pretty useful. And maybe is that how you took took a game off Anina? Of was it something different, or was it just you really dialed in on just like the macro? It uh it got wild. It got it got pretty wild. So is I was doing a one gate expand opener. She did a one gate expand opener. I did a blink stalker follow up. And she went into a third base with fast DTs. So she had TTs out in the field, but I was able to push in with all the stalkers and get a lot of damage done. Then she took out my main base, but I had a Robo hidden out in the map. So she had GG'd as soon as the Observer came out. But it was, uh, it was, it got close. It could have gone either way. That a proxy Robo, that does sound. Without... Well, I had to go for the proxy Robo. Right, she right. To, to, save her, to save yourself. Yeah, that sounds like a wild game for sure. For sure. Okay. Um, what is, let's talk about your favorite cheese per matchup. You know, something that you do to this day. Mm, so, like, uh, hmm, this is going to be really interesting. I do like playing, it depends. So, people's interpretation of cheese always changes. So, for my PVZ, my PVZ has changed a lot. I don't usually go for those cannons anymore like I used to, that we were talking about a bit earlier, but I do open with a lot of Oracle openers, and I do go for a lot of mass Oracle play. I still find that really, really fun. And that kind of got popularized around 2018, where uh, mass Oracle was actually really, really strong in Korean games, and I saw a few players playing like that, and I just wanted to emulate it. So we're talking five Stargates, four base production, 11 gateways, mass charge lot, mass Oracle production, and Zergs are just like, what is this? Because they try and come out there with Hydras, but Hydras are not the answer. So I do love going for that sort of play. It's, it's, it's hard to say if it's actual cheese or not, but it's certainly unique. So uh, that, that seems to be the run of the mill with a lot of my gameplay is it certainly doesn't fit the mold. So that's probably my favorite there for uh, PVZ. In PVT, I do love to go for my disruptor plays there as well. So it's a it's a two bait it's a one gate expand opener again, with uh, usually a three adept push at the push at the front to be able to see exactly what your your Terran player is doing. You go up for an observer quickly, scout your their timing. Go up for a really fast disruptor, and it just hits this timing that they're going to start pushing out across the map around six minutes. You should have one disruptor at their front with a second one on the way, and you just kind of bleed them as as soon as they leave their base. So whether that's cheese again or if that's just a kind of a cheeky play, I'll leave up to the uh, 
for the the chat to be able to discuss it amongst themselves but that is oh that is beautiful it is so so good to be able to get that scout off to be able to determine exactly when your opponent's going to move out and you're like within like three seconds you're, you're bang on it that's uh that's what makes starcraft so great pvp is still probably a proxy gate though because that's you can take some wins off some really really solid people Wow. Okay. So, uh, PVT, you're do, you're getting the the two base disruptor. You start you open with uh, adepts to get a, a view of what's going on from the Terran side of things early on, and if you can get a cheeky disruptor shot off, uh, PVZ. I like I like the Oracle play. I think I had seen some games of the uh, uh, hero, the Korean player, open that, that against Zergs. And it seems you know five six Oracle opener is really strong. And like you said, mass gateway, if you get, you know, either glaives or charge, I don't think you see blink as much in, in PVZ, but, um, and then PVP, what do you mean by proxy gate? So you, it's like a one gate expand and then you, you proxy. Oh, it's not a, even, it's, a, it's not even an expand. We're talking proxy three gates straight off the back, fake the cannon rush, zealots go up, kill the pylon <laughs> and they can't even build anything. <laughs> <laughs> That is like that is super OG sort of uh, sort of cheese. Like obviously the proxy four gate back in um, Heart of the Swarm was was the all the rage back then, and then it kind of developed when Parting came out with the proxy two gate forge. But I've never really been a cannon player against Protoss or against Terran. Uh, it's never like I've just never been able to get that perfect perfect cannon up. So I much prefer going for these units, going for the zealots. Going into adepts and just making three adepts at a time, and you can have some really funny games like that. It it sounds fun. I mean, just talking about the game and like hearing like your your different play styles, it just sounds fun. It my main race is, is Zerg. I play all races, but it every time I talk to a guest, whether they're it's my the race I play or the my off races, it just it makes me now talking with you. It makes me want to play Protoss more. So, <laughs> wow, then yeah. I've done a good job. You're recruiting me. Yes, it's gonna happen. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Uh, what are your? Let's talk. Uh, next question here. What are your goals as a player? You know, you you're five two, five seven. You're a consistent season after season GM player. You've played in past tournaments in Australia. Um, do you do you want to take it to that next level? As far as a player, you know, do you do you want to go beyond five seven? Questions. Um. Like, it's it's really hard. A lot of people will say that you should go up to that next level because you are peaking into it as well. But every level that you go up requires increasing amounts of work and effort to get into it. And there's certain levels that, like, things will slide into pace and then you might go up 100, 200 MMR on average and that's fantastic, but it's always going to require more work. So if I wanted to, like, and to be anyone important, not even 6K players these days are important. You've really got to be 6.1. You know, like, as, as StarCraft gets older, it gets more and more steep in terms of how perfect you need to play. And so if I wanted to be a 6.1 consistent player, I could probably do it, but it would need eight hours a day practice, not even streaming, but study, like proper dedicated study on what builds a current, what are my counters, practice that counter for an hour, what build is current for the next race, Get, get someone really, really talented and just grind out these games because that's what it takes 
to be at the top level. People be like, you've heard all these masters paying like, I could be GM if I tried. I'm like, I'm sure you could be GM if you tried, but the act of trying takes so much out of a person. You can't devalue what the amount of effort that trying actually is, you know? So uh, I'm I'm 5'7". I've put a lot of effort into StarCraft and I'm so happy to coast with where I'm at. And any, any amount of time that I want to play in StarCraft, I'll dedicate to the stream because I'll get better returns that way. You know, like it's just much more enjoyable for me to see the stream grow, to see things take off in that regard, than to be just a hundred MMR above where you're at now kind of player. But that's it's still a great goal, you know. Five um, seven is is mind blowing to me. I'm I'm currently the season a bit still lower. Caveat, still currently yeah. five five. Usually five six, five seven. Like three or four times, I get to five seven. Okay, Maybe yeah. Five, 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 six. I mean, this is somebody who's floats between three, 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 and three, six. But it's it's still a great goal you have to to grow your stream. You, like you said, you're happy coasting five two to five seven. Um, yeah, like think, even if I'm streaming at like five four, that is so much fun. You know, like doing weird builds is so much better because. Or, like, we, we talk about toxicity in StarCraft. We talk about pro play, how people are really judging you. We talk about how other players will jump on you in their toxicity and how their toxicity affects you, and then you become toxic. The other thing is, when you... Because, like, I've tried to be... I'm not sure if I tried to be pro-pro, but I tried to be as good as I could be. And that kind of mindset is also really dangerous. Because if, if you can imagine that, let's say you've dedicated six hours a day for like six or seven months, right? So a decent stint of time, you're putting as much time as you can into something, trying to get as as good as you can. And let's say you're currently at 5-4 and you're trying to push 5-5 five, five, and you lose to that 4-8 player like that and you lose like 40 or 50 points. It's really heartbreaking because it's more than just losing that one game. You're losing all the effort you've put into up to that point to get a little bit higher. So focusing on MMR can be really dangerous and especially at the high level where every 100 MMR gets increasingly difficult, in focusing on being like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grow my stream. And your stream's never going to go down, really. You're going to gain those followers and you can look at those numbers. And as long as you're consistent, it's going to grow. It's so much more positive. And that's kind of where I'm at in my life. Yeah, for sure. Definitely tilt central, you know, um, even at the lower leagues to some degree. Um, I think you're right what you're saying. It's not just losing that MMR. You you realize you spent an immense amount of time to improve and there's one game or one bad fight you took that made you lose that game and lose that MMR. And that MMR you lost, like upwards of what? Minus 40, minus 50 um, at, at the extreme end of losing a particular game can be really devastating and really heartbreaking. So it, it sounds yeah. like you have a really great balance. You know, you're able to... Well, I only have balance because I got really upset. <laughs> so that's <laughs> <it>. <laughs> balance built on the back of fuck this shit. I'm out. <laughs> uh, that's pretty much what it comes down to. That's a good choice too. Um, maybe maybe you might have a a different. Some people might have had a different. Like really skilled players like you might have had a different path. If you let's say you let's say you were like five six five seven like five years ago, and and the game was not as as old as it is now right then there's the potential of like you know what um i maybe i would go for this pro thing but i think 
Let's also throw in there that the game is older. We're, we don't know the, the long-term scene, how it's going to look, especially with Stormgate coming up. And so it sounds like you're in a really great spot. Well, I like it a lot. And at the end of the day, I still I still love StarCraft. That's where a lot of my stream comes from. I've got so much passion for StarCraft. I love so many facets of it. It's just really fascinating, really in-depth kind of game. And I love sharing that passion with the rest of my community. So that's what the stream is a lot of as well. Just sharing is good. Also hating on Terran. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Okay, we've got a couple of questions to wrap up the player topic here. Um, so do you ever off-race? I do, actually. So I've been random GM quite a few times. So I get GM with my other races probably on a pseudo-regular basis. So my Terran, I can safely say that if I play for like two to three weeks, I'll get 5-2, five, 5-3. Five, and then my Zerg trails a little bit behind that, usually around 5-5-1, five to five, one, something like that. So I've been able to be GM with Terran four or five times and GM random like three times and uh, even being GM just like late last year with Terran. So like I, I know I've got it fairly recently, but I've never been GM with Zerg by itself. So that's the only one I'm really missing. Okay. So you've been GM with random off race GM with Terran, but Zerg is the one race you haven't been GM. That might be a good goal for your stream, you know? It should uh, be. Maybe not like the, uh, and we could talk about this maybe a bit later, like the controversy around smurfing, but if you have an existing Zerg account, that's, or I guess if it's just off race on that same account. Well, if you're yeah. still trying your hardest, even though you're higher with the different rates, I don't consider that to be smurfing. You right. Know, like if, if your off race is legitimately 5-1, then you're 5-1, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What I meant is not, not to start like a, a new account for like a, a stream type of thing to see oh. if you could go from bronze <laughs> to GM, you know? <laughs> wow. Well, we'll, we'll get into that in a bit. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. And then, um, we, we could probably also expand upon this either now or, or later in the community section. But, um, so what server do you play on? Maybe we could talk about the history of the server. Cause there, from my understanding, there used to be an Australian server and now that is no longer a thing. Yeah. Like, um, I play primarily on North America. And I also play a little bit there on Korea. We did used to have the Australian server, which is the one I started on. But then um, weird things started to happen. So there were just Australia never really had a massive, like it had a really close knit small scene that was very dedicated. That definitely helped out. But in terms of numbers, they definitely didn't have very high numbers. So the Australian scene there took a pretty big hit, and most people kind of started moving over to North America anyway. So it kind of screwed with the algorithm and at some stages there'd be like three gms total and only one person in masters and then the rest of diamonds you know the, the algorithm it has a few stop caps in there to kind of make it accurate so if you're gm on this server it actually is gm on the other servers as well but that means you got three gms total and there were less masters than gm players and it was kind of it was kind of weird so that kind of started happening and they just looked at the numbers. They said, it's not enough for us to keep up with it. And they pulled the plug, you know, and then Australia got merged into uh, North America there. So we still have the Australian server, obviously, but it's, it's on North America. And the reason they did that is like, they could have merged into Korea, but it is nice to be able to talk with people in English. And if you're doing clan wars and stuff like that, which were really important back then, then they, they wanted to keep that all together. 
I'm really enjoying this podcast with you because I, again, I'm, I'm learning something new here. I didn't know that the, um, the top end of the Australian server, um, became like, you know, like you said, three GM players and a couple of master league and like everybody else was diamond. Maybe the algorithm, like you said, was messed up. And that was blizzard's reasoning for eliminate, not eliminating, but moving the Australian server to North America. So I didn't, yeah. I, I didn't know the history of that. It's a great little Starcraft well, history they have there. A, um, yeah, they had a percentage basis, and then they also had a number basis. So, like, if they said the top, the GM has to be in the top zero point zero two percent or whatever it would be, then if you don't have enough players, that's actually only three people. You know, so even though you've got the potential to hit up to 200, 200 is only the hard limit. It's not saying that we need to fill this spot to all 200. The the um, the stopgap of having the percentage in there came in there as well. Okay, wow. That's, I, I love learning like history stuff, about stuff that I hadn't known about the history of the game and the and the scene. This gets really cool. Okay, so that wraps well. up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so that wraps up the player section. Uh, we're gonna hop over now to the topic of Sephiroth as a streamer. And this is going to be great because, um, as as the intro to this podcast stated, uh, what was it, uh, co-caster extraordinaire, and that that really I think is what differentiates your your StarCraft Two stream from really any other stream. You see, uh, casters casting tournaments, whether it's smaller tournaments like maybe Dave Testa, for example, or like this week IEM Katowice, but your stream. You're you're playing the game at a like you said five two to five seven level, and when I when I say you're casting caster extraordinaire, like you are saying like every little detail of like what's going on in the game, <laughs> even, even even talking about your opponent's perspective, not not just your perspectives, and that's what I really really like about your stream. Um, so the first question is, um, when did you start streaming on Twitch? So I started streaming on Twitch. I want to say around 2020, and it was uh, kind of to help out my clan or community, which at the time was Risen. So if you know all those Risen from the Ashes, Risen from the Risen from this, Risen from that, I was part of that group, and they had a really, really fantastic little community, and it's it's one of the best communities I've ever been part of. And uh, we'll kind of um, we'll kind of merge this with like who helped you with uh, with streaming as well because. I gotta, I gotta, gotta give some shout-outs to Renegade X Studios was the one who really held my hand for many, many years, you know, and really helped me out immensely, like, answered all my questions. Renegade was the one that was being like, you should start up your stream. You would do really well at it. Let me help you do that. These are the tools that I use, you know? So, and, like, I think I started my stream to co-cast with Renegade on some of the clan stuff that we were doing. So that was really, really special, and I owe Renegade a lot. Yeah, I, I've caught a couple of Renegades. Uh, so Renegade is, I don't know what race they play, but like, uh, I've that's She's caught, a Zerg. <laughs> yeah, okay. I thought she was a Zerg. I just didn't want to misspeak there, but uh, I do recall catch, catching some of her streams casting. I think her stream, she has like the, you can change the color of the lights in the background or something like that. I remember. Yeah, I've, there's been a few of those. Yeah. She's, yeah. she's got a really cool setup. Yeah. And that the risen from the ashes um, clan is that it's ashes with a three, right? The number three. It was. It yeah. was risen from the uh, from the ashes with a three. 
Unfortunately, there I'm, was, I'm... there was stacks of clans. They had like four or five hundred members, so they had like four or five different clan tags. I can't. I, I think I was just risen with a three. Was was my one, but uh, they had a really awesome Discord community that we hung out with. I've definitely played against people in that clan ages ago, and uh, probably unfortunately BM them or something like that. But probably. <laughs> I, I remember <laughs> seeing. Probably that... deserved it. I, I remember seeing the number three in the loading screen of like the clan. It's it's still in my head. Okay, so uh, yeah, definitely shout out to Renegade. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast in the future, um, it sounds like you did a great thing for Sephiron, getting his stream up and going in uh, 2020. A lot of my a lot of my guests start their stream around this time frame, 2020, where kind of coincided maybe either on purpose or on kind of coincidence of uh the pandemic so i guess it kind of makes sense people are spending more time at home and yeah it definitely helped <laughs> put it that way <laughs> for sure okay and so as saffron as a streamer um what kind of stream do you enjoy you know out uh, broadcasting to your to your chat to your audience uh, would you like try hard or maybe we could just really talk about the casting that you do as you as you stream Oh, so this one's like from my perspective. What what streams do I like to put out? Right. Um. I there's always a mix. So I've always got to keep myself entertained, especially when you're going for those longer streams. So if you're going for something like eight hours, I I'll usually have a plan in mind, saying the first few hours I'm gonna try this, the next few hours I'm gonna try that, and uh, just to be able to keep yourself entertained. Obviously, I'm very vocal <laughs> in my streams. <laughs> So I do love just playing 1v1 is pretty great. Being um, I'm not too sure if you've seen the wheel yet, but I'll bring up a wheel, we'll spin it to determine what unit and what build style will go. That's always really, really fun because you don't even know what build you're doing until the, the wheel, wheel will tell you. So that's uh, that's a lot of fun. And then, of course, casting the Passion Craft stuff is is just amazing as well. They've been able to give me a really great opportunity to cast some of the best EU players in the world. And uh, I cast them every Friday. Friday my time, so Thursday North American EU time. Wow, what a, what a great variety to your stream. Um, like you said, if you have a stream upwards of eight hours, you'll kind of plan it out. Um, I, I haven't seen the wheel, admittedly, to your stream. Now, now I want to catch it, so um, I'll have to turn on notification for your stream so next time it's up. <laughs> I want to. I want to see the wheel. The wheel of fortune. Oh, is it? Is there a name for the it's wheel? Pretty good. Uh, no, we just call it the wheel. <laughs> so, like, uh, I could probably see if I could bring it up for you as well. But uh, we'll see. I got that other. Um, I got that timestamp of uh, the Nina game. If you really want it, but we can go into that later. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can throw that in the show notes for sure. I don't have a way to display it on the stream right now, but um, no stress, no worries at all. Yeah. So is it is it a physical wheel or it's uh like a So I use um I use Google Wheels. So if you actually it's called Wheel of Names, I believe it is, on Google. And okay. essentially it will let you save a wheel that you can just uh you can just spin and you just fill it up with all the different whatever you wanna whatever you wanna be able to put on it. So I've got two wheels that I use. I use uh, a wheel of four that says economic timing attack cheese or all in. And that will determine what style of build you're going to be doing. And then the other one has every unit that you can have 
as Protoss. So Voidray, Sentry, Blink Stalkers, Charge Lots, Oracles, High Templar, so on and so forth. And I'll just go through all the uh, all the units there. So it says for this game, I'm going to focus on this unit, and it's going to be this type of build. And if you get Tempest Cheese, it gets very awkward. But you know, <laughs> that's kind of a uh, kind of makes some of the best games. I like unique things like this to a stream. Like I, I'm sure maybe some other people have done it, but it's definitely not a common thing to have a wheel, and it's a great way to engage with your chat. Um, you know, people want to vote on this stuff. People want to, they want to gamble, right? They want to gamble channel points. They want unique ways to engage with the streamer, and if you can provide it with something like a wheel, um, and you see it in chat, you know, me as an example, I stop by your stream. I'm like, hey, can you do a cheese? This is a way for you know, a, a, a viewer, you know, to really engage. Yeah, it's pretty sick. It's, it's uh, people, the, the chat seem to love it as well. You know, it always keeps you on your feet, always developing. And some of my best builds have come out from that sort of thing. So for, for example, I, for a while there, I was opening double gate against Protoss. And when you've got a Colossi all in build, that comes up on the wheel against Protoss. It's not exactly common to push out with two Colossi in your uh, in your two gate all in, but uh, or two base all in. But like, there's a few really hidden gems in there that you won't, you just won't do because it's so unnatural. And doing the wheel will actually develop your own playstyle there as well. So that's kind of uh, hidden gems that come from that. Two base Colossus in PvP. I can't. I got. I got to think that's pretty difficult. To, it's not to, always good <laughs> to squeeze a win out in that particular scenario. But I think that's the appeal for people. Is um, you know, kind of quickly going back to like some of these YouTubers that do like uh, I don't. Not really like Bronze GM, but they or maybe Bronze GM, but they do like particular strategies and something that hasn't been seen before, like Mass BC or um. People want to see. There's a certain percentage of viewers and fans that want to see something different. Yeah, you want to you want to see you know like Maru be an absolute machine in TBT, right? And have the most crisp execution on this planet, or like Serral, you know, um, those caliber of players. But there's also a percentage of fans out there that find value in enter entertainment in streams like yours, like with the wheel, or like you said, two base uh, Colossus in PvP, something that. You know, you might do Immortals, you might do DT, Blink, Adept, but yeah, a two-base Colossus build sounds maybe more like a PVT build, let's say. Some people just like to be dirty. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> okay, uh, next question for you as a streamer. Uh, what's your affiliate partner status with, with Twitch? I'm still affiliate. It's still taking me a bit to get that partner. Averaging seventy-five for a month is not easy. That that is that is the big roadblock. It seems going from uh, affiliate to partner. I had a friend actually yesterday. I explained to them. I said I was explaining what streaming is. They had no idea anything about streaming or gaming, and so I had to really break it down in simplistic terms about Twitch. Um, going from like a free account to to streaming, and then going to affiliate and partner. And they said to me, you know is there anything else? Like it's only those three levels. And I said, yeah. And I said, the biggest challenge going from affiliates to partner is that, like you said, 75 viewers every, or for a month, I didn't know it was for a month. I knew it was 75 viewers, but I didn't know the duration. Uh, and I think even most recently people like, um, who's the North American Terran player? 
like a top top GM. Well, I know um I know Trigger actually just got a f um, partner, so he posted that on on his Twitter, which is pretty cool. And you think if someone like Trigger just just got it just now, like that's hard. Right. I, I think it's Vindicta. I don't know if he did get partner recently, mm. but I think, yeah, these type of players, they're like very high level players. I imagine they've been streaming for a long time. And it, it certainly seems like Twitch has room for improvement as far as maybe if you could just throw in one more tier, like a stepping stone from affiliate to partner where, sure, you may not get all the benefits of a partner, but something that's above affiliate, but not quite partner. And it helps you. It's like a ladder, you know, system mm. where that, that would be incentivizing in the very least um because I, I imagine it's a grind you know to get from affiliate to partner i imagine you have a lot of the other metrics that are required for partner um i think well, at even one the, point the, the um the streaming the amount of hours can be pretty easy you know like right. you might only need 20 hours in a in a month or something like that so that that can be pretty good that you can get that it really is just consistent viewers. But the, the brutal thing about consistent viewers is it takes you a while to build up to your maximum. So it's not saying that you've hit 75 viewers on in that stream at some point. Because I, like, I average 59 viewers, right? For the last month here, I've been able to average 59, which is pretty good. It is. That means you can peak at like 80 or 90, or you can get raided with like 300 people, but your average might still be below that 75 people mark depending on exactly what happened so right. that's uh that's the brutal part there if they could tone that down like hit, like say you hit certain goals in that stream that that would count for more being like you get double points if it's above if you're above 100 viewers that would be amazing makes it much more achievable yeah averaging i mean 59 is wonderful like i, I think i average like let's say like under 10 viewers or something like that um I get raids from fellow grassroots folks um, in the StarCraft 2 scene, but 59 is like, to, from my perspective, it feels like you're almost, you're almost there. Um, well, for StarCraft, you're certainly up there. I think I can <laughs> regularly get in, in the top five streams of StarCraft, and that, that's about where I sit, number five. Yeah, and I think it depends on the time of day that you're streaming. Um, oh, and consistency. If you've been inactive for a few weeks doesn't doesn't help <laughs> yeah this this is the number one thing as a content creator right is cons consistency if you take any small amount of time off from it it's it kind of resets you in a sense oh absolutely i know there's no no chance in hell of this happening but i had a really exciting thought about this podcast before we began tonight uh the thought of iem rating the grassroots starcraft 2 podcast and suddenly <laughs> suddenly we go from one viewer to like fourteen thousand. <laughs> i think they're I, doing reruns bro that would be amazing yeah I but, uh, I they, they don't turn off that stream it's, uh, it's just going constantly oh i should i should have tried to hit up somebody on twitter or something like hey can you, can you host the podcast for a bit we'll read yeah, like more. if you've got um actually pigs rated me a few times so i would highly recommend reaching out being like, but but don't go without a without a without something to offer. Being like, hey pig, I'm a huge fan. I'm doing an event on this time. It would mean a lot if you rate and just see what happens. You know, like you, you give you're gonna put something out there anyway. Let's say that you make something really important. Like maybe you are casting that five thousand dollar tournament. Maybe you are casting that this ESL match that means a lot to you or something like that. Reaching out to the other creators is is gonna go a long way. And I think you already know part of the grassroots 
is that the low-level StarCraft community, and I consider myself to be part of the low-level StarCraft community, so players like me, Hupsaya, Renegade, Flipper Flapjack, Vindicta, even Trigger to a lesser extent, they'll all raid each other, and they're always trying to push into, like, StarCraft support StarCraft, and Neuro will raid different StarCraft players. Pig, we've talked about, will raid different StarCraft players. If you're really lucky, you might get that Drogo or that Harstam raid on occasion. And they're out there, and they want to support other creators because there's not a lot of us. And that's, uh, that's like, really cool about the StarCraft scene is, especially in the, in the streaming scene, is they really will support each other like that. I agree with you, and it brought back a memory. I, I started streaming, like, many years ago, like 2017 or 2018, and it wasn't consistent at all. I, I took a break and I, I really, I could say I officially started streaming last year. I'm approaching a year now of streaming consistently. And I did have at least one raid from Neuro. It was a big raid, like 100, 100 to 200 people. That's massive for a person like me. And mm -hmm. it's it's wonderful to see the bigger streamers, the bigger names uh, share the love in, in, the, in the community. All right, well, I hope that um, you can get that 75 average of partner and it really good advice for just even other streamers out there. People wanting to get into streaming is something I don't think I do enough is, is reaching out to other streamers. I mean, I watched flip a flapjack recently. I've caught maybe a, a stream or two of triggers. I certainly I've watched, I watch a lot of other streamers, but I don't think I explicitly, explicitly communicate with them. Like, you know, Hey, I'd love it. If, if you could, uh, this is what something I could offer. You know, it's like a fair exchange. This is something I could offer yeah, in, exchange, in exchange for a raid. Um, well, you don't need to. Just be like, hey, I'm just starting out. I still, like, we want to help people who are lower. And I know I go out of my way to, to focus on people who are under that 100 viewership mark, you know. So, and we, we want to lift people up. And if I can raid someone with three or four people that I know are going, like, are putting out good content. So you still need to have a webcam. You still need to be playing StarCraft. They kind of bought the the lower lower requirements for what I will do, but I know there's a lot of people who are doing the exact same thing I am, and these are also the people that have lifted me up personally. So people like Hupsay has given me a lot of raids. You could just reach out to Hup, being like, "Hey, I'm still struggling to get these viewerships, and I would love it if you could raid me sometime. That would help me out a lot." These are the times, like, you never know. You might get buffed back, but at least you're you're putting your best foot forward and you're just inviting them to let you them know that you're still part of the scene or you are part of the scene at all, you know? Like, and we need more people streaming. We need more people casting. There's a massive skill shortage there. So we, we look forward to having people like that. Yeah, I imagine Hup, Hup has been streaming for a while, uh, Grandmaster League Protoss player in North America. I, I didn't start watching his stream until... Very recently, I imagine, maybe the past handful of months, he's very engaging with his chat, um, has a, a lot of unique, like, balanced perspective, I would say, where he really dissects things. I think... Oh, rage. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of that, too, but I think I think it was actually uh, the Oracle not attacking, right? I think he had some demonstrations of, like, two Oracles flying into, like, a Zerg mineral line, and one of the Oracles might fire off a laser but the other one didn't like certain scenarios like that it's a really technical breakdown of the game which is nice to see i forgot to mention dave tester i gotta shout out dave tester he is like the king of bringing a lot of these lower levels together so you've got to send out a message to him and be like i need some help growing my stream and Absolutely. he would love that you know he would help you so much
here's the here's the thing here's the thing about dave and dave is like a reoccurring dave testo is a reoccurring person on this podcast almost every guest i I talk with his name pops up and and for good reason you know he casts you know upwards of like esl games right esl matches stream Um, but he does a lot of his own you know the chicken man testa tournament a lot of like smaller tournaments i mean that there's still a prize pool there 50 bucks 100 bucks something like that but the the thing that differentiates dave is he goes out of his way to be proactive and, and bringing people into casting. I think I casted something with him. I did cast something with him last year. I was like floored that he said, PCH, I want you to cast. He, and he's, he, it's not like a one-time ask. He'll, he'll keep asking you. He'll like, I want you to cast this. I want you to cast this. That's, that's how much he is generous in his heart about StarCraft and, and bringing people into casting. Maybe that have, I, I had never casted before. And I think I casted for like two or three hours and it, it gave me a new perspective, uh, respect for casters. I was exhausted and that was only like a couple hours of casting. So yeah. definitely, definitely shout out to Dave Testa. Dave, Dave's always got a spot open on his stream. You know, he's crazy good like that for co-casting. He's like, boot up your stream, come join me. He's, he's just so open. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's your affiliate partner status, your affiliate, but you're, well, let's say in striking distance of partner. <laughs> I'm just reading our, uh, reading our questions. Casting with Dave Testa is right there. <laughs> yeah. I'm oh, glad we... I mentioned it in our pre-interview. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I gotta make sure I touch on that. Okay. So similar to wrap up the streamer section, uh, similar question to like a player, uh, section. What are, what are your goals for streaming? Um, so I've, I've definitely taken a bit of a break right now. I did really, really well last year overall. Like we, we picked up an extra few hundred followers. So at the moment I'm sitting just shy of 1.4, which is pretty good. So in the next year, if I can turn that 1.4 into 3000 followers, that would be pretty amazing. So just long-term steady, consistent growth is kind of what it's all about there. And just being able to, um, put in the extra time again. So I took some time off to focus on myself and I've just got a new job and it's going really, really well. But um, I've always, uh, if I can get back into the habit of casting, like casting myself or playing for like two to three hours before work, go to work after that, that's uh, that's really where my, my schedule kind of shines when I'm in that kind of um, that routine. I actually cast less when I'm on holidays than when I'm at work because lo- I've lost the framework, you know, so... Like, I'm taking it a bit easy now, but soon that's going to come back in, getting those regular casting back, getting that regular stream back, as well as because I'm already doing the weekly there. So I'm doing the Passion Craft on Fridays, and then we've got the LTK Bash on Saturdays. And uh, we are just about to do the Passion Craft $5,000 one, which is the big event. And that's going to be on Sundays for me. For the um, Actually, it's starting next week. So that starts on the 19th of February, my time. So the 18th on um us time and it's just going to be it's just going to be absolutely insane the the amount of uh consistency and the amount of skill level that we're going to have access to in the next like month or two so just hitting those timelines is going to be what it's all about it really sounds like you piece together personal life with starcraft you know you said if you go on holiday you kind of maybe lose the consistency of streaming because you're not let's say let's say you're not working right but if you're working your your new job and you really piece together when you when you're available and have a structure of like 
this is when I can cast and stream and play, and this is the work time, and uh, yeah, that's it. It becomes part of the uh, the work schedule, you know. But if you're not, you're like, I'll stream later. I'll stream later, and it never happens. <laughs> so I gotta get work. Actually, helps me stream. I think it's the same for me too. If I if I'm if I'm on holiday, it's it's gonna be less streaming. So I, I can relate to what you're saying. So I hope you I hope you get your goal, and I, I really think you can. You know, you can double. You can go from 1.4, 1.5k followers to 3,000 in a year. This is certainly feasible. And for folks that are not following Sephron, we're gonna have the links at the end of the show. And if you're listening in the future, the links will be in the show notes for sure. Okay, uh, that wraps up the streamer section. Let's go to this is this is the topic that I've been wanting to discuss this whole podcast is caster community, right? Um, mm. We can start off a little bit on the the less spicy things with casting, but we're going to go into community. And that's what, that's what I want to hear about. Um, let's start off with, how did you get into casting? So it's still Renegade. So we talked about Renegade there to begin with. Renegade started up as uh, the only caster for Risen and was doing a lot of stuff, and I wanted to help her out. So I started casting there alongside her, and that definitely helped out. And then I started doing my own streams, started doing my 1v1 experiences, and I grew really quick, really fast. So, like, certainly a lot of the other streamers I've talked to, like, a lot of people being like, you've only got a 1,000 followers or something like that. In streaming, it's actually kind of a big deal to get to get 1,000 followers in, like, a kind of like a year to two-year kind of period is, is really... Like, uh, other people tell me that it's special, you know? It is. But a lot of that has come down from the support other people have given me. So I still don't feel like I can own it just yet because Renegade put a lot of effort into finding things for me as well. So Renegade has access to a lot of different channels, is always is always looking for more stuff, and had been in the scene for a lot longer. And she was just feeding stuff my way, being like, hey, do you want to cast this event for uh, Alpha X? Hey, do you want to cast this event for somebody else? Do you want to co-cast this with me? Just constantly looking out for me and really helping me and getting that schedule organized when you don't know anybody, so you don't know who to reach out to. It was all renegade in that situation. So that was absolutely amazing. Like even getting me to sign up for uh, attempting to go into the ESL stuff that we'll talk about in a little bit is uh, that was all Renegade as well. So Renegade really held my hand and was like, these are the baby steps you need to take if you're going to be into casting. And the funny thing is, is that there is still a lack of casters available for a lot of these events. If you contact the AlphaX guys, they're still looking for other casters to cast a lot of their stuff. Unfortunately, a lot of it's from replays now, and I just suck at casting from replay. I don't like doing it. But they've always got more opportunities. So if you're a young caster... Hit up the Alpharex guys. Hit up Drickit. They've got um, Drickit's from Psystorm Gaming. They, they've got more stuff for you that other people haven't touched yet. And it might start off from being from replay, but if you consistently can like just keep doing that replay stuff, they'll give you those live events. And being able to cast a live event for Alpharex that can mean a lot to some people. So you guys should check that out too. This this interests me. This might be a, way, a great way for me to grow my my community. My stream is get into casting. Uh, I did enjoy it when I, I, I did it briefly with Dave that one time. And I, I know what you're talking about because I have a week or two ago, I was watching Psystorm Sci- Gaming has their FSL tournament. And I think mm. I was watching the tournament and I was listening to the caster and I didn't know 
who the caster was. It was, I think it was like one of the owners of Psystorm. Um, it's uh, K, KG or Carl G. Um, he's, he's the dude with the, the exotic cars, I think it is. And, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he, said, he said, normally I don't cast events, but he said, we didn't have casters. So I'm kind of like the backup caster. So he was observing and casting and streaming all at the same time. So that I, I, I think I see what you're talking about where there's a shortage of casters mm. in, um, I mean, well, certainly not, um, not, not the pro yeah. scene, but yeah. Well, actually, even not for ESL, but anything that's not ESL. So let's talk about Passioncraft for a little bit as well. So sure. if you don't know who Passioncraft is, they are massive in the EU scene. They, they hold this um, weekly event and they regularly get Christiana, Mixu, Rattata. We're talking like seven or eight players who are above 6K with some of them being like 6566, six, six, you know? Like regularly having five people in the top eight of the EU ladder participate in their events. So when you're talking about skill level, it's through the roof. Like I've never had access to stuff like this. And Renegade contacted me as like, Passioncraft is looking for a caster. Would you mind filling in? And I'm like, are you kidding me? I would love to fill in. Like this is, this is the best stuff I've ever had access to on a regular basis. And I got talking with them, and they loved my first cast. So they've uh, we've I've kind of been partnered with them for at least eight or nine months now. I haven't missed a week because they're so good. But what blows my mind is before I came along, they had two or three months of not having a caster. There are there are casting gigs out there with top EU players that cannot get casters, you know, or their caster just stopped turning up, you know, and it took them months to find another one. So it's really funny because casters are like, I don't know where to go. But also organizers are also like, we don't have casters for our events. It's it's kind of really funny that they're both happening at the same time. But if you look around, there's people out there who need you. I think I found the official post on the Team Liquid forums for this uh, Passioncraft $5,000 tournament um, hosted by, uh, or the post is from Mr. L. That's the one. That's the one. Okay. Yeah. This is this is a five thousand dollar prize pool. First place thousand dollars. Second place seven hundred. Third and fourth four fifty. This is a great money distribution. Fifth to eighth two fifty. Ninth to sixteenth a hundred. Even if you go down to seventeenth to twentieth, you're still getting fifty bucks. I mean. Yeah. Like I, I'm not too sure if I can talk about who's actually got the invitation because a lot of the people who are not going through these open brackets. Because you might have found um, one of the qualifiers there. The qualifiers are still good. Even in the first qualifier, you've still got Spirit turning up. Ryuchi is turning up. Let's see who else we got here. I think Silver Crow is quite good. There's Aeus, who's quite good. There's uh, there's three point in there. So three points currently 6-3 on um, NA. There's Zingming, who's 5-8 NA. Oh, yeah, Pops Spirit. Air, of course. So, well, Spirit is... I think Spirit is very, very good. So Spirit should be able... <laughs> He's very Spirit good. Is like, well, he was one of the first I mentioned, but that that's the point that this is actually the open Stat. bracket. The closed bracket, I'm pretty... Like, you might see a Reyna, you might see a Christiana, you might see Red Tata, who regularly participate in the Passioncraft weeklies. So the Passioncraft weeklies, in addition to giving um, cash prizes, they also give those OSC points, which you can use towards the um, like WCS and stuff like that, but they also give clout with the Passioncraft community. And if you turn up to a certain amount of those events and you do well, they'll give you these invitations that go to these $5,000 tournaments. 
So I don't, I'm not too sure if I could say who's exactly turning up, but they're very, very talented players who are going to be playing, uh, especially once they get to like the top 32. It's going to be absolutely incredible. Yeah, other names here that I see in just the qualifier alone, for Jumi in, in round one. You know, he's like a high-level EU Protoss player. I see Han Mono, you know, he's um, top Terran NA. I, I see Hup in here. You know, again, we spoke about him previously. This looks super hype. Um, so I'm really, I'm going to tune into this for sure. Uh, which which Twitch stream will this be on? Is there a passion craft? be on mine. Hello. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. So uh, the passion craft doesn't have their own uh, Twitch. And like uh, they offered me about three months ago to become their official, their official caster. And um, there's no pa cash or anything like that, but they'll just they'll give me a front row seat to all their events, and I could not be happier. These guys are amazing, you know. They're just they're just so they just love the community, and even when there's no casting, they still put up these events, and I think that says a lot. That it's not about clout for them; it's just about community. Yeah, this is wow, and the and the official Liquipedia page for the event. Talents, English commentator, Sephiron. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> oh, and, and even we have other languages as well that are going to be casting this, like Brad OK. I think, um, I think they, they said they were trying to go for Roddy, so Roddy might cast some of this as well. Okay, wow. Oh, yeah, Brad OK actually plays in a lot of them, so it wouldn't be surprising to see him play there quite a bit. Well, yeah, there there are some, you know, like you said, um, Christiana, Gerald, it shows in the Liquipedia page. Top four from the Thursday showdown. Uh, I mean, this prize pool is going to attract people that haven't already maybe aware, aware of this, but the, the tier for this is major. Um, yeah, it's, it's very special. This is awesome. I love seeing stuff yeah. like this. Okay. So that's how you got into casting. It's kind of circling back. Renegade for sure. Um, so what is the most popular like event that you've casted? It's still got to be Passion Craft. Like um, casting these events. doing. Um, there's a few weeklies which have popped off, which have been really, really great. When you've got like a really hype final, whether it's like um, Rattata and Christiana, something like that, usually goes really, really well. So... Rattata, I think, sitting at 6.5 EU, Christiana sitting 6.3, and Rattata's playstyle is just so wild. So if you can put that in a title, you're going to attract a lot of uh, a lot of attention. So when it comes to casting, those are the ones that usually pop off. Okay, so Passioncraft, you know, being the, the most popular event you've casted, and, and this upcoming one is... Sounds like it's going to... This is, this is probably going to be the one. Yeah, yeah, this it's going to top it. One. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, we have the next bullet point here. That we spoke about this previously. Was there anything you wanted to expand upon as far as casting with Dave Testa? Um, we can get into it when we get into uh, this part. If you could see where my my cursor is. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So the the next bullet point we here had here was we were talking about we're going to talk about um, gatekeeping of ESL, maybe some stricter rules for casting. Um, Maybe somehow people are being prevented from casting. I, I really am not knowledgeable about any of this, so 
The floor is yeah, yours. Yeah, this is this is going to be a really really good one to talk about because we've talked a lot about a lot of people reaching out to casters, needing more casters. There is another side of the coin to that, and that other side of the coin is ESL. Now, ESL is just it's it's really really strange. So essentially, the way that it works is that you've got to put in an application to be able to cast ESL, and that's for those ESL weeklies. I think I put my application through early 2020, but essentially what they're saying now is they're full and they're not accepting any more casters pretty much ever. You have to wait for someone to give up a spot to be allowed to have a new spot to go in. So they're not allowing anyone in, but they're not really even reading their messages at all. So it took, this was back when I was first starting, it took both Renegade and Dave Tester really going into bat with me. And it's kind of funny, like uh, we had a bit of an altercation in uh, one of the ESL events where a friend of mine or a clan mate of mine was um, going up against a pro player who who turned up to the event super late. Like their pro player turned up like half an hour late and they wanted to allow this pro player to play anyway, even though the walkover is supposed to be 15 minutes. And I was like, I just said out in the open, like, look, guys, why? Like, I'm sorry, but he's so late. The next round has already started. Why are you, why are you not giving my friend the walkover? Like, is this just because this guy's a pro player? And like me and one of the admins got into a bit of a bit of a row. And he came afterwards and he apologized. He's like, after discussing it with the other ESL guys, you were totally right. It was totally favoritism of us to allow this pro player to participate. Because after, they were way past the cutoff point. So, and then they will like, um, after having a discussion with them, I was like, do you know I have an application to be a caster? Can I have help? And they said, yes, you can. So, what they did was they allowed me to co-cast on Renegades and Dave channel. Now, like, the, it took years of effort, and Renegade put in, like, five or six applications. I know Dave put in, like, two or three applications for me to be able to cast, not even on my own channel, but to be able to cast on someone else's channel. Like, that is how hard it is now to get into casting any ESL content. And then if you're going to keep that application, you need to be able to cast two events a week. And if you don't do that, you're back to square one and you're eliminated. You know, it's really, really harsh. And I don't know why they're so... Like, especially now, when the scene is really quiet, like, why are you penalizing the new players who are trying to come in, the new casters from some of the best content, you're not going to hurt someone like Steadfast. You're not going to hurt someone like Pig. These people are not being impacted by the fact that you've got a low level. This person might only have three or four viewers. Like, why can you not give that person access to casting this fantastic content that's a free access and it's not even on ESL's channel? You know, it doesn't make sense to me that they're not letting these players, but they're still happy for Steadfast to do it, you know? And it's not like ESL is making money off it. It's not like they've got a vested interest on their Twitch channel, because that would make sense. Right. Right? That would make sense. And then, I like, oh, if we're going to talk about other things, Australians, we're not even allowed to cast our own events anymore. It's really strange, because, like, I've got to go into bat for someone like Cranky Ducklings, Right. If you know Australian content, you know Cranking Ducklings. They're huge for us. They've casted right. every event we've had since 2014 or earlier. But now they brought in a CSGO caster to cast the live event of Australian Championships for StarCraft. And it was like, why? Whoa. Why is this not on... And Cranky Ducklings, they wanted it. 
You know, like, how are you not investing in your own community, especially when it's someone who's put in as much time as the Cranky Ducklings have had their own cash? They've got their pro team in WTL that does really well. Like, invest in that. That makes sense to me. Like, why are you getting a CSGO caster in? That made no sense. And that was for the last ANZ champs. So ESL has done this thing that it just it just feels like maybe the people at the top are not in StarCraft anymore. I don't think they're really looking at their emails anymore. I've pretty much been told, don't hold your breath when it comes to waiting for an application into casting on your own channel. You're going to have to be on someone else's channel, and it's invite only. You know? That's how strict it is. And it's very sad. Two different topics here that you just talked about. Uh, The ESL side of things where they're, you know... The, the gatekeeping of casting is so strict. And I, I agree with you. You know, I was trying to think of, I was listening to your perspective, but I was also trying to think of ESL, ESL's perspective. Why would they want to prevent, a, a, let's say, a relatively new caster from casting? You're right, you're right. It's not on their channel. So if it's somebody that's new and they haven't demonstrated their their skills and their, you know, that they're not going to rage on stream or be erratic or be a liability, right? I think one of the top concerns from ESL perspective is they don't want to introduce a liability, somebody that might cur- like accidentally or even maliciously curse on stream uh, might prevent them from losing sponsors. But if it's not on their channel and you know, it's on like your channel, Dave's channel, um, what is the purpose of ESL being so strict about, you know, you have to apply, it's going to take years to even poten- even potentially have the opportunity to get a spot. Uh, it sounds like ESL needs a product manager, not like a senior product manager, because I think what that's who Alex is, who's been really done a lot of work for Katowice. They need like an entry level product manager that is really looped in the in the smaller side of the scene and that what that has passion for StarCraft that um, knows more about like what the, what's going on in the scene and, and can help facilitate new casters on these secondary, not, not their ESL stream, but the secondary streams. And, and the other topic you're talking about with cranky ducklings, I've watched, uh, I think he's the co-owner, like light VIP. Um, yeah. White puts a lot of effort in. Yeah. So he streams on his own. Uh, he's got his like pull out meme for his channel. Um, and I, I haven't catched a lot, caught a lot of the cranky duckling like streams or, or casts. But that's news to me that they had hired um, a CSGO caster or like commentator. That is a bit shocking and honestly a bit disappointing to hear that, um, you know, they didn't consider somebody that was already in the scene, whether somebody that's uh, somebody like you that's been casting Passioncraft. Well, or... like um, I tried to, I, I even tried to put in efforts to cast some of these open qualifiers, right? So some of these open qualifiers for ANZ champs that happened last year, I tried to be like, look, can I cast that? And essentially, you just get passed around from person to person, being like, don't ask me this question. Here's this guy. Ask that guy. And he'll get back to you four or five days later saying, don't ask me these questions. Ask this guy. And I got passed around and eventually, like, you just got the no. It's just we're full. And that qualifier happened and it didn't have anyone casting it. It was actually castless. And it's like, are you like that blows my mind. You're getting gatekeeped here, and there's no one casting the event. Like, who are they protecting? It doesn't make a lot of sense. 
that it just it just blows my mind sometimes. Yeah, that, that that's um, that's really unfortunate. That, that I mean, yeah, there's gonna be high but, quality games that are castless. Well, I, I think it's it's a lot of people like it could be that the Australian scene might just not be big enough for them to care about. But from the outside looking in, not knowing, maybe they've got some internal drama going on that we don't know about. So I guess I can't be too hard that I don't know all the facts. But from outside looking in, they've got this blanket no policy. And you've got to know someone to, to even get them to look at the email. You know, like it's, it's that difficult. The, the lack of care just seems to be unbelievable. That's really unfortunate. Um, I hope things change, but I, I'm not too hopeful in, in this regard that things we don't have enough time left. I don't think so. Yeah. Not in the next few years anyway. Yeah. Okay. Um, the next topic here was Passioncraft. We did talk about this a bit. Is there anything else you wanted to expand upon for Passioncraft? No, no, no. We covered that one for sure. Okay. Um, on the, the word of gatekeeping, let's move over to the next topic here. Uh, gatekeeping Liquipedia pages. Um, Liquipedia is going to get us in some trouble. Uh, well, we got trouble here. <laughs> this this is the this spicy is territory. Really, Arguably, this, this, the, this is definitely. This yeah, is, if we this, thought ESL was spicy, this is even spicier. Like, right. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm actually a very analytical person. So when things don't work, like that's why I love StarCraft so much as well, because you get very clear, defined actions. And it's like, I know if I do X action, you're going to get Y response. And that makes a lot of sense to me. But when it comes to the Liquidpedia guys, it just makes no sense to me at all. It's like, what? Like, okay, I haven't filled anyone in on what we're talking about here at all. So I guess what we're saying is Liquidpedia is also going the same route that we talked in ESL there, is that they're being very elitist. They're not allowing a lot of new people to get their Liquidpedia pages. There's certain hoops that you need to jump through, and those hoops have to be individual. So to give people a little bit of background, I've got a little bit of uh, that tournament sort of winnings. I've had some fairly good responses, especially lately. But because, again, it's under the Sephiron name, not the Dragonite name, those two names can't be combined. So those two are separate. And I've got 75% of what I need to be a player on Liquidpedia. And then we've also talked about casting these events and how they've worked and how I've got with Passioncraft as well. That's also 75%. And they say the other 25% to cast, to get to get a page for a cast on Liquidpedia, is you need to have an ESL gig. And to get an ESL gig, we just, we just talked about it, can take you years to even get in through the door. So that's pretty much a no-go. You need to be able to do these certain things as a player. But it doesn't make a lot of sense to me because it's like, what is Liquidpedia for? Liquidpedia is essentially a database or a registry saying these are all the notable people in StarCraft. And if a player is like me, who can regularly get in the top five people of who are being watched on Twitch. Now, I, don't, I shouldn't really be so arrogant here, but you would expect that that would put you in a level of notoriety where you could deserve a Liquidpedia page. And it even gets further than that because one of my, or our clan leader, Maximus, is actually got some admin rights on Liquidpedia to a very low degree. He's allowed to make tournaments and change those edits and do all that stuff. So he's got certain levels of authority to do that. And he thought as a nice gift, he might make me a Liquidpedia page. 
So we worked on it together. We made up this lovely page talking about the stream and all the details that I was doing at the time. And then Liquidpedia retroactively removed that page because I didn't hit their certain guidelines. And it's like, guys, what is happening here? Like, what is what is Liquidpedia for if not for this registry about trying to be accepting of StarCraft players? Why do you, like, why, especially when you've got someone, the page is already made. There's no work. They had to do work to remove that page. Right, yeah. Like, what are you doing? Like, like that's not what your page is for. It just, it blows my mind that someone would do that. And this is where it gets really, really sad, is that it appears that there's a lot of, or there's two or three play people who are very high up in Liquipedia StarCraft admin who are very elitist and are very controlling. And they really do like throwing their weight around. And Mr. L, who we actually talked about, the guy who runs a lot of the Passioncraft stuff, actually went into bat for me because he's like, I would love to have you on Liquipedia as a named entity so that we can so that we can advertise you better. And he actually went to these guys and talked about it, and they bumped him back as like a creator of like this weekly StarCraft event that has all these pro-level players in it. And I'm like, why though? You've got entities out there who are, are who are trying, like you've got so many great people behind you trying to push you forward. But then you've got like Liquipedia and ESL who are deliberately shutting these doors. It doesn't make sense. That, that's so unfortunate. It, it really is. Like there is a theme between what we previously just, just just discussed with ESL and Liquipedia, ESL has this really high criteria to become a caster for a secondary stream. We're not talking about ESL stream. And, and the same goes with Liquipedia from what you're telling me here. And I observed some of this. I'm fairly active in the, the StarCraft II Twitter scene. And I had seen uh, recent examples from December, this past December of um, an event that had happened on a Liquipedia page for a, I think it was like a semi-pro player. And it's... It's sad to hear that Liquipedia has su such a high criteria. And I'm not saying remove the criteria. It's good to have criteria to create a page on Liquipedia. It bring it it establishes credibility to the, their version of, of Wikipedia where like, somebody like me, I can't just create a page and say, oh, I'm, I make this podcast or, you know what I mean? You have to have some, you know, you have to have some credibility to do that. Um, but even that you had your, your clan leader, Maximus, um, this guy that running passion craft go to bat for you and that's still not enough you know to, well, to get... like like we talked about it i'm averaging like close to 60 viewers a stream now for months you know like i'm i'm close to getting that partner status but you're not going to get the the liquidpedia thing it like and the liquidpedia thing is really funny because i've been a starcraft player for a long time so having a liquidpedia page means a lot because it's just accumulation of your effort. It's about being recognized. But you would you would hope it would be more of a community hub than what it kind of is. And especially when you hear about it, but about these guys at the top who are deliberately keeping people out. Or we could talk about it a little bit. There's even been, like, they will post things on people's pages who they don't like and be like, this guy is an asshole. You know? Right. This is, and this is. Like, that's total abuse. It is. Like, it what are you doing? Absolutely. It, it is. Um, I don't want to be overly sensitive or, like, 
We can um, try and keep names out. I certainly no, don't want to name yeah, any of these no, we, we're, guys. No, we're not going to be naming names here. We're going to be appropriate about it here. But it's it's something we can still discuss. Is that's the event that I saw that happened in December. Is there was a players page and an admin had spoken very badly about that player, and there there is no reason for anybody to be trash talking somebody and then putting it on a page that is intended to be, you know, permanent, really, this is internet history. When something goes on the internet, it's there forever. And these players use these Wikipedia pages really as their resume. I imagine if you're a team or you're a clan, you're a sponsor and, you know, you want to assess whether this person is a good fit for your your brand or whatever it is, you're going to go to Liquipedia page and see. And if Intel or, or whoever, you know, they go and see that there is some trash talk about a player, it's done. Like your opportunity, because that Liquipedia mod had a bad day or they they have some vendetta or whatever to, you know, get against a person. It's, it's completely inappropriate. And, um, it certainly sounds like Liquipedia mods need to have some type of auditing or some type of um, committee, like third third party audit, which well, is it's, it's, really, it's not it's not going to happen. It's really hard. Well, it's, it's, the issue is that this the the people that are doing these changes they're at the very top, right? Like we ha we had a look at it. This person got nominated as one of the best editors. You know. Yep. Like when your best editors are going around to other people's pages and deliberately posting stuff about that person in a very negative way. Right. That's completely inappropriate for a moderator to be doing. Like, we're not here to start fights. It's just, it should just be facts. So right. in that regard, all people who are going out there and deliberately taking down pages where other people have, like, when, when you've been cleared, you've been cleared to get these pages and then they're retroactively taking it back because they don't think you're good enough. That is brutal. So, and it just, like, if you, if this was some sort of ranking system, I would understand. But Liquidpedia, although it has all the ranks on there and all, like, the really cool tournaments and stuff, at the end of the day, it's still a community hub. It still should be about anyone who has any relevance to StarCraft at all should be able to get a page. Like, right. you should be a low, like, if you're averaging, like, 15 viewers, let's say you're you're very low on that level. Let's say Flipper Flapjack right now has 11 viewers. If you are Flipper Flapjack, you should be allowed to have a Liquidpedia page at 11 viewers. That, that's what I think. If you're putting effort into the community, you should be able to be rewarded with a small Liquidpedia page. That's it. Just feels it. Just feels so horrible that they that it, it just feels like they're deliberately shutting the door for really no reason. And you're like, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Right. Yeah, what what is the harm in, a, in somebody like Flip a Flapjack? And I, I check out his stream. I love his stream. I call him uh, the total. Uh, back in the day, MTV in America had a show called Total Request Live, um, with the host was Carson Daly, and it was just a show of like um, playing music videos for the audience. And I, I call Flip a Flapjack stream the Total Request Live of StarCraft Two because he likes to combine jamming out to random music videos on YouTube plus playing Protoss on his stream. It's it's a it's a unique experience. And so what's the harm in in having, like you said, having a flip a flapjack Liquipedia page? There I don't see any harm in it. it it's not gonna discredit any other like content that's on that that site. So Yeah, and like it means so like 
the, like I can I, I I still remember the moment that that's that that page went live for me. And that page was live for like 3 days. So it's nothing, but that means a lot, you know? Like having your page as a StarCraft player on Liquipedia, having your casting stuff up there, it was it was for a grand total of like 48 hours, it was amazing. I have that Liquipedia page. And that was special. And then they took it away, you know? So Yeah. That's it's very sad. Well, it sounds like a bit of an old boys club, unfortunately. Um, it really is. <laughs> it really, really is. I, I think really the only option you can do is just keep fighting. You know, keep pushing. Mm -hmm. This passion crowd, this is $5,000 tournament and you're casting it. If if they are so blind to see that you can't have a page after casting a $5,000 tournament, uh, that's... Um, I don't even know what to say anymore. Yeah, but like it's not even just about me. It's everyone who's underneath me as well, mm -hmm. you know. Because like I, I'm certainly, I, I certainly don't consider myself to be a high level streamer or caster. We talked to like Passioncraft needed somebody, and I filled the spot, and I think I filled it really well, and I know they're happy with me. But there are so many other players out there who deserve the exact same treatment that I'm arguing for myself. You know, so that's that's what we should really. I'm not saying that I need this page, and it should just be me. It should, and like I know you said that you shouldn't get a page. I think you should deserve a page as well. You're putting in effort. You know, it's bitch should get a page. You know, you. it shouldn't. It shouldn't be like I don't know. I'm very very open in that regard. About so, equality, yeah, I like that. I like the equality perspective. Um, for years and years since the beginning of StarCraft II, I'd been a fan. I'd gone to a lot of live events. Um, I, I competed in some am amateur fun online cups, but I, the, the purpose, the primary purpose of this podcast, people ask me, why did you start this podcast? And for me, it's about giving back to the community that gave so, has given and still continues to give me so much as a fan, as a player. And so I was, that was, that's my mission for this podcast is to, to give back. Well, like, well, okay. Let's say, let's say you've got someone as well on the Liquipedia, who's who's got admin rights to some degree, to a low a low level player in the Liquipedia scene, sees what you do and loves what you do and wants to gift you a Liquipedia page, they should be able to do so. <laughs> I guess if someone's got out of their way to make you a page as a show of respect, being like, "Hey man, I love what you do. I love the StarCraft. I I've got these like I I already edit for Liquipedia and I wanna I wanna give you this page." I think that would be really special to allow them to have that. It would, and it, it just mm. if they if those things happen for Liquipedia, it just it just fuels the passion for everybody, right? It just, oh, it, I think it would. It just it's fuels special. the yeah. It just it just brings positivity, right? And that's that's what we all need, especially mm. in a scene that has a lot of uncertainty for this year, even this year, right? Like we we don't know. What GSL? I don't think we still know what GSL is going to kind of look like, and certainly what 2024 will look like for StarCraft II. With this being the year for Stormgate um, beta supposedly coming out, so mm. okay, great, great topics. I, I think we kept it spicy yet appropriate and not crossing the line of um, I think rude so. or, or you know. I, not... I don't think anybody's gonna. You're never getting a Liquipedia page now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, get the Liquipedia page. This guy can burn. You know? <laughs> like, well, I don't think we're going to get one of those. The, the hate's not going to be too unreal. Right. 
Okay, next topic here, server blocking. And we can talk about it from both sides of the fence here. And what, what is server blocking? Just to give a, a brief background here. So I'm, yeah, I'm gonna- is, Oh, you're gonna do it, you go. Well, yeah, I can bad. just give a little bit of background um, and feel free to, to correct me after I speak here. But uh, I play on North America. I'm on the West Coast of North America. North America, if you're in North America, is broken up into like West, Central, East. But as we previously discussed, North America also includes other continents, other areas of the world, Australia, Brazil. There's another one too. Um, I forgot, but those are the two that are outside of North America. And so there, there are people that don't want to match with somebody in a different, like if, if I, for example, if I was the same MMR as you, hypothetically speaking, and we both queue at the same time and we could match based on MMR bracket. I could play you and you're located in Australia and there's going to be a latency discretion between uh, our matchup, you being in Australia and me being in California versus if I match somebody in the West Coast. What server blocking is, is it, I think it's like a Team Liquid forum post of either, I think there's a third party app, but you can also just go into your Windows firewall settings. I had even seen Nathanius recently tweet about it because he's been experimenting on Linux with StarCraft 2. Uh, the performance difference on Linux supposedly is better. You can do um, IP routes through terminal, but server blocking, it'll block a particular region of the world. So if I don't want to play against somebody in Australia, like for for example, you, I don't want to have that higher latency. It prevents that from happening. And so I'll, I'll pass the mic over to you here and we can talk about the different perspectives of like, yeah, Why? like it's it's similar to what you're talking about. There's a few is issues involved there, but for whoever, whoever wants it, I'm actually very big on blocking servers, and we'll, we'll discuss why and the repercussions of that and, and everything else. But if anyone's interested in server blocking, I have the how-to guide. It's on my, my Twitch page. So you just go Twitch about section, and there'll be a detailed guide on how to block it on your different computers. And essentially, you're, you're not blocking areas, you're blocking IPs because the IP will never change. And the, I've tested all of them and they all work. So I've got how to block Australia as well as how to block all the American servers and uh, everything like that. Now, the root cause of the problem is not the fact that I'm in Australia. It's not the fact that you're in America. The problem is the coding is actually terrible. So the code for StarCraft says the, late, the, um, the server is chosen by the lowest overall ping amount or value. So that means if I've got a ping of 1, and you've got a ping of 300, that gives us a score of 301. But if you have a ping to one server, which is 160, and I have a ping to the same server that is 160, that gives us a total ping value of 320. So it would rather give me the ping of 1, and you the ping of 300, than the 160, 160. And that's a really, really big problem. Because one side is always going to have an incredible ping value, and one side is always going to have an incredible disadvantage. So the core issue is that when Blizzard created the client, that's the code that they used. So if we could have had a middle server ground somewhere, and both had a ping, because there are places where we could both get pings of about 180, and it would totally be playable, that would, that would completely, com completely change the game. So that would be uh that would kind of be the thing there, but like it's just gotten to the point that I don't want to play with 300 ping anymore. Like there's so many of these US players as well that don't want to play with 300 ping either, and I certainly don't hold it against them because it's horrible. 
So what they do is they'll turn their server blocking on, but it's gotten to the point that there's so many of these uh, US players that have blocked it that if you are wanting to play these US players, you are only going to play with, I think, 260, 280 ping on average, and it'll go up to about 320. If I get central, we're 300 plus every game. So that is completely unplayable, and I just refuse to do that anymore. So now I've gone ahead and blocked these servers for that reason, just because the playing on it is just so, so bad. And I would rather not play some of these American players, be relegated to playing Australian, Korean, and some of the West market that doesn't mind Australia so much, than having to play with it anyway. Now, this is where the arguments come out, because people, they oftentimes don't really care about why things are happening they just care that things are happening and targeting is a very real thing so a lot of players will target your australian players it's your fault that you're playing on my server even though our server got merged into their server and it's really funny because they'll hate you even if they've blocked your server if they've pulled you onto east and you're still playing with that 280 ping, they will still hate you for being Australia because they remember how horrible it was to play you at 300 ping. So that is our, that is another major, major problem with mentality. And people just kind of, like you could say get over that, but the, the that, that stain of ping can run really, really deep. So there's kind of those things there. And now there's been a lot of new talk coming out lately, especially from a lot of the uh, 6K North American players that um, that we're not going to name here. But they are people who have blocked Australia as well. And they will actually go out there and say that the people who play on Australia, their, pain, their, um, their MMR is now inflated. So they ha they hate you so much that... If you have blocked their servers and you're not playing with them, that they will actually tell everyone else he's not really that level. He's actually like 5.1, which is ridiculous because I haven't been 5.1 in years. So that, that makes no sense. Even when I play with all the servers open, I'm still 5.5. But what they're actually saying is if I can force you as an Australian to play with 280 ping, you would be 5.1. And it's like, maybe, maybe that would be true. But that's not the case here. So it's really interesting that, one, we've got a major system issue with Blizzard having a really bad setup in the way that they distribute ping and choose what server. That we've got Now we've got people who've been stained and really have this toxic mentality of, I can't believe I played on Australia for years before I blocked it. And that, that kind of grudge actually holds on. And then it being directed at either Australian players or you've heard people talk about Brazil. You've heard talk, people talk about Singapore. That's an issue as well where they just hate it and they'll hate you for it. So guys, please don't target your Australians. Don't, please don't target your Singaporeans. They're just trying to play StarCraft and have as little ping as they can as well. So that's kind of one of some of our core issues there, which can be really, really painful. But like... Guys, we're still like I can still take games off Nina. I can still take games off 4GG and three point. So like I'm still taking games off these six three players. I really don't think I'm five one. If you guys are listening to those guys, you guys are just delusional. It's just crazy that people would have that kind of uh, viewpoint. But I understand why they block Australia, and I can understand like why that's happening. It's it's pretty sad overall. Yeah, there's there's a lot of perspectives about blocking you know somebody like you that i i'm i would say i'm a pro blocker or maybe at least pro choice right doesn't really bother me too much if somebody wants to block a particular server i'd have to check my settings i think i still block australia i imagine as a 
I don't know the distribution of like Austra- Australian players in the lower leagues, but I think it's somebody's choice to do that and to hate a particular person or like where they're from based on a, a ping in a game. Right. I, I agree. I completely agree with your, what you're saying. Uh, if you don't want to play them, do you have that option to server block? Um, hopefully Stormgate, you know, has some unique approaches to this, a different, a new approach that can help it make make it more inclusive. At the end of the day, we're all trying to play the game with the lowest ping possible. But of course, that's not possible based on physical distance, right? Uh, until we have some breaking technology, it's going to happen in the future, whether it's our lifetime or future generations, there's going to be uh, better better gaming and lower latency. Uh, and I feel a bit spoiled because I, I, I love when I see you press... Uh, Control Alt F, and you look on the top left. You see what server you're on. And for me, being US West, I'm, I'm happy when I see West after the loading screen finishes, and I have that sub 100 ping. And I've even tried. Um, Vindicta has like um, had some links to like Mudfish. It's a particular VPN or routing system application that it, I did test it. It did improve slightly improve my ping to EU because EU I, I think I get like mid 100 ping. And it might have gotten me down like 10 to 20 milliseconds. But yeah, at the, at the end of the day, we're all trying to play the same game. We're trying to have fun. And we we all want to have, you know, a low ping. So it's the best response time. The good thing is that the genre of this game is RTS, right? It's We're not doing first-person shooter where <laughs> you have to have the 360 hertz monitor. And, and uh, you know, you want like as close to zero ping as possible. There, there's some leeway with it being an RTS, but... Maybe we can include the, uh, the 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 team liquid post on server blocking, and the, I think that would be good to include in, in the show notes for folks that don't aren't at least aren't aware of it. Mm. All right, we got a couple more topics here for Caster community. Uh, let's talk about six K, and again, we're not going to name names at all here. We'll keep it civil. Six K NA players playing as five point two to five point five range, and it. it to me, that sounds like higher level players, maybe they're playing on an alt account, they're playing at a lower MMR, and they might be preventing folks that are legitimately trying to ladder up. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Now this one, this one's dangerous. This this is actually malicious. It, it feels malicious. So there is there is a group of people that go around, there's a group of three 6K plus players who will have accounts at around 5.2 to 5.5. And 5.5 is at the top end of that spectrum. But, like, I know both... There's two players who have currently, in just this season, have both been above 6. One of them gets up to 6.1, and he had a 5.3 account. You know? Like, and it's just... It's really, really hard. So this goes back into server blocking. So, unfortunately, for for US players, they are US. So one of the arguments that... um. The um these these some of these people are ma- playing saying that your MMR is inflated is that you don't have to verse these players and you're correct because I don't have to verse these players it's not that I'm not versing their 6k accounts it's that I'm not versing their 5.3 accounts where you could make an argument that their MMR is inflated and it's really really painful because there's these players they actually take a lot of joy about deliberately targeting people and then saying, I'm gatekeeping that person today. 
And I know that because I've been in discords with them and they're saying, I'm going to target this player and they'll give you what they call the dot. So essentially it's just a full stop. They'll send you a message. And what that does is they can see when you're searching. If you send someone, a, like if you just yep. try and message someone in StarCraft, it won't yep. show when you're searching. But if you send a message, all of a sudden you can see when they're searching. And this is this is really dangerous. And I would love more people to talk about it because the dot is one of the most toxic things that you can do. Now, I'll give the dot to people if I want to avoid them, but I've never given the dot right. to someone when I want to target them. I do and the dot. I do the dot to avoid avoid like yeah. recuing re against somebody that just I've identified I've identified through their account they're a Smurf or they just have a playstyle I, I just don't want to play <clears throat> play with at that time. And right, you said you send them the message. It shows their status if they're searching or not, and you can avoid searching at the same time. But to hear that people are using the dot. Um, to target somebody this is um it's disgusting it's it is. actually disgusting and you'll queue up against them five or six times in a row and you know you're playing at a guy who's between six to six one and if you're trying your best let's say you're like i don't know five four going on five five so you're certainly not a bad player but you're certainly not a good player as well and you're playing your heart out and you've got up against a 6k player who's on a five three like, that should only be a minus 8 or a minus 5 for you. But instead, you're getting hit with a minus 25, you know? Something that's just absolutely outrageous. And they'll sure. laugh about it. And it's it's really, really bad. And I know they get, they try and get... Like, uh, I've talked about it in my YouTube video. If anyone goes back and watches that one, they can. There's a lot of drama in that video, but it does encompass stuff like this as well. But I know they'll go after streamers as well. People like Uko... People like myself, people like Hopsaya, um, Yuri got hit a lot. Um, there was a Zerg player that was quite... Who Do you know who the um, cat girl Zerg player was? It was Melody. Melody also oh. got hit a lot by these players. Yeah, so Melody is like, like a yeah. like mid-5k VTuber, right? VTuber streamer mm. that is a Zerg player, yep. Like, to, to target someone like Melody makes no sense to me. So you're playing Melody as a 5-3. Melody might be 5-5-1. Five, five, but then you're going up, but you're actually versing a 6k player? Like, that is horrible. So talking about Smurf endemics, like, that to me, like, there's a, a strong Smurfing community at the very top level of North America. And we're not talking, like, one or 200 MMR. We're talking about 800 MMR swings between, like, where they should be and where they're playing at. And the difference, I think anyone knows, 5-3 to 6-1 is very, very different. Massive. Every every 100 MMR above 5-5 five, five is a very different skill level. And, like, certainly consistency is where it really comes into play. Like, any, like a lot of people can be 5-5 five, five maybe if they tried really, really hard. But then 5-6, you need to be that little bit tighter. 5-7, a little tighter again. 5-8, a little tighter again. Until the end, like, when you get to 6K, you just don't lose. Because if you if you lose, you're going to get a minus fifty, so you're just not allowed <laughs> to lose anymore. Right. That's what it, like you have to go eight and one. It's like against these lower level players. So, and that's against like people who are like five five, to be able to maintain a six k. So if you, you're going from that down to five three, it's just it's just disgusting. And I wanted to bring it up because I wanted to make people more aware of the struggles that a lot of these NA players, like I think, like I haven't heard of Nuru being hit because Nuru is a chill guy, but I would imagine Nuru would get hit quite a bit as well. Yeah, I think Nuru peaks at like 5'2", five, 5'3". Five, uh, from, yeah. from what I last checked, I'm not super up to date on it, but 
I know that Neuro has Neuro has struggled in the past with um, with stream cheaters even, and um, I mean that's just kind of a separate topic there. But it it kind of relates to the whole negativity that some people, for whatever reason, they they want to do this negativity stuff, and it, I guess it's just, it's just part of every gaming community, and we just have to do our best to not. Uh, well, I guess we're bringing the attention to it here on the podcast, um, awareness to it. But I think with awareness, it also gives people the the choice, hopefully, to not engage in it and to or ignore it as best as you can. No, I think just calling it out is pretty good. Like if they go, if people are out there and people realize who it is, I don't want to get targeted because I've been targeted enough by some of these guys. So I'm not going to say any names. But if you do figure it out. And you go into a Discord with them and be like, man, I've heard you do these sorts of things. What's wrong with you? You know, mm -hmm. name and shame goes a long way because they need to be shamed because it's the only way they're going to stop. They need to realize that it's not okay to do th these things are actually cruel. And we talked about the amount of effort it takes for some of these players to go from 5-3 to 5-4. It's not just an MMR bracket for some of these players. It's about hours and hours of study and effort to push it that little bit harder and you're robbing them of that you know you, you can't even say like oh you're cruising around in platinum where obviously it's disgusting again for a diamond to smurf in platinum but at least that person is not really putting in the same amount of time right or effort right so maybe it, like you would hope it would mean less to them and i can kind of see that a little bit maybe that 800 mmr swing wouldn't but you're robbing a guy who's trying really hard you don't get to 5-4 without putting in a lot of effort so that you're robbing that guy of his MMR, and that is really sad. Yeah, totally. Uh, if you're an unlikely event that you're uh, a person listening to this in the future that is doing this, uh, please you know reconsider. Please think really think about what you're doing and and take your ego out of it. I think a lot of it has to do with ego and uh, making yourself feel good. You know, and I hope people stop doing this. Okay, um, we th we use the word smurfing. This is the last topic for caster community here. Um, Pig had done a recent YouTube video. I didn't catch the whole video, but um, it had been discussing. Pretty interesting, huh? It had been discussing, you know, the smurfing because I religiously watch. I would say Harstem and Uthermal, more recently Uthermal YouTube channels, and there's a lot of series out there that are like. Bronze to GM, Uthermal um, just finished up, or I think he's still doing Bronze to GM, like Planetary Fortress Rush. He had, okay, he had just started um, the pro, he has just recently started the Protoss series of Bronze to GM with Proxy Nexus, and uh, I think he just made his first video where it was like a bronze or silver opponent, and he did Proxy Nexus in a PvP, uh, where he by three or four minutes, like four minutes, he recalled like six adepts into a, a bronze or a silver league protoss players you know main base and haha -ha, you know i mean we we can we can look at it from an entertainment value he's owning this guy but if you really think about the ethics of it and somebody who's legitimately bronze or silver maybe they just picked up the game or they they've always just been bronze to silver and they're just happy playing the game like that and then you get a professional player recalling six adepts and just completely destroying you. And not only that, but they're they're making money off of it on YouTube. That's where it gets even more unethical. If somebody has a hundred, like I think Harstam has a hundred K subs on YouTube, right? And they're making money mm. off of this. Mm. 
Yeah, because we're not we're not talking about eight hundred MMR swings now. We're talking four thousand MMR swings. <laughs> right. That's yeah. a that's a big swing. That's <laughs> a, that's that's a lot. Like especially someone like Euthermal. He's six seven. I want to say. Yeah. Very very high on EU ladder. That is a really hard one. Now, like uh, I I always want to play a bit of devil advocate. You guys kind of know where I I stand on this. We've I've already said that. You know, I find it personally disgusting, but Pig did raise a really interesting point. And to play devil's advocate is, is there a spot, is there a place where bringing new people into the scene justifies destroying these players and ruining their day? And if anyone has got the time, go check out Pig's video on it. It was absolutely amazing because Pig has also done these Bronson GMs. He also feels morally conflicted about them. They're some of his most successful series. He's made a lot of money from it. And he's brought a lot of new people into the scene. And new players are hard to come by for StarCraft, so that's amazing. But is it justifying that... Because Pig also mentioned that he's had some of these players being like, yo, thanks for trashing me. That felt absolutely amazing. Because it was not amazing. It, in fact, was horrible. In sarcasm. You know? like, And he's like, oh, the people I'm beating, it's not okay. And then people are like, yeah, but you handicap yourself... But when you have a look at the percentages of you're not losing, you know, like this, these handicaps, they're not actually handicaps because your percentage of win rate is still 95% until you get to Masters League, you know? So like people, you can't justify it by saying they've got a handicap because they're still not losing. You're still playing above your skill level. You're still smurfing at that level. It's not, it's not fair, but Pig makes a good point. Does it matter that you're bringing in new people to the scene? And then, is there a cutoff point? If I streamed it to my 50 viewers, I'm pre pretty much bringing in very low amounts of new players. If I get one new player in every month, that would be amazing to StarCraft. But if I streamed it, would that be the same fairness as someone of what Peak might be streaming? It's very thought-provoking, and more people should think about this. Yeah, I, I didn't really think about it bringing new players into the scene. That, that thought of bringing new players to the scene seems really... Uh, like a less feasible path. It's it's a to me it's a it's a very old game. It's a it's a mature game. It's a neat when I when I explain to people the game StarCraft Two that I play that know nothing about it. One of the first things I say it's a very niche game. It's a niche community. Um, it's it's not a popular title like it was when the game first came out, and it was kind of going neck and neck with League of Legends as far as popularity goes. You think of modern esports titles you think of overwatch you think of apex you think of valorant starcraft's not there anymore and i don't my personal take i don't know if it you know a, a bronze to gm series is going to bring in a lot of people to the game mm. it's very interesting very wild so does it justify being toxic if you think you're getting new players in i don't know i don't know guys so we'll have to leave that one to you yeah, I think every yeah everybody of course is enti entitled to their own opinion. I, th I think from the grassroots perspective, I think it's it's unfair. I've been on the end of, I don't think I've ever played. I've, I don't think the smurfing I've experienced has ever been that extreme where I, I figured out it was a pro player, but it it still feels bad, you know, playing and I'm diamond two diamond three and to find out that it's a well what appears to be a new account and they're actually their main is EU and they're a high level EU player. I've just from talking with them after the game, it, it doesn't feel good. It's uh, 
demotivating. It's frustrating. There's a lot of emotions involved of experiencing smurfing. And I, I've personally complained about it on Twitter for, for years. Uh, I used to have an older Twitter account that's no longer exists, but I would have screenshots, um, of, of, of examples of Smurfs. I even have done that. I think fairly recently, um, of some accounts that have like 90% win rate with all three matchups. And that's when you know, they, that's when you clearly know there's something not yeah. right here. <laughs> it's pretty obvious. It's, it's not exactly a, a secret at that point. Right. Okay, here. Uh, so that wraps up the caster community uh, topic here. Uh, we have the last major topic here as a fan. So a uh, question here, who are your favorite pl uh, pro players currently? Yeah, so um, I'd say my probably my favorite pro player is still going to be Hostum. As a caster, as a content creator, and then as a player, he played up against Maru like a year and a half ago or something like that. And he had this crazy Kauria Disruptor game that was just absolutely wild. And ever since then, I'm like, this is the guy I want to be watching as much as I can. And it just feels like a lot of his builds are, cop uh, are copyable. And there's some players out there, when you look at someone like Parting or Hero... It's just like, I'm not going to copy. You guys are crazy, you know? Like, you just can't copy that level of skill. But when you get someone like Harsome, it's like your build is really straightforward and it just it's just really tight. And I could I could do something like that. So I really like watching Harsome because he's he allows you to he, he allows you to get access to these builds which are not just insane micro. They're just really well thought out. I feel like uh, Neeb definitely belongs in that category as well. As being someone who's very, very high level, but he can, you can actually follow what he's doing. Um, Astrea, to a lesser extent, is also really, really good to watch and get some of these strong builds from. Christiana is also really, really good to watch. I'm naming only Protoss players here. You might have seen detected a theme, <laughs> but um, for me, like obviously, learning is is part of my watching experience. So they are going to be Protoss, but those those guys are ones that you can, well, at least for me, I can kind of copy what they're trying to do. Yeah, totally. Yeah, there is there is a distinction between a, you know, a, a let's say a Korean Protoss player if it's, um, yeah, versus like a Harstum, the trying to attempt to copy their builds, and Harstum in particular, um, I had just seen a highlight clip on, I think it's SC two HL. They're they have they're like SC two highlights on YouTube, a pretty popular channel. They had a highlight from a Harstum game from Katowice. I think they posted it today or yesterday. Um, definitely, I would recommend checking that out. It's it was entertaining what Hearthstone did without um, alluding to any spoilers. So <laughs> nice, Hearthstone's good like that. Okay, so Hearthstone, Australia, uh, Neeb, a lot of good Protoss players there. Um, next question here: Which pro tournaments are your favorite? Are you a GSL kind of dude or? You really like kind of leaning into some of the smaller tournaments. Well, I gotta say, Home Story Cup is is definitely my favorite tournament. You know, much more laid back. People feel like they're having an amazing time. You'll see Big Gabe in a pool somewhere with his shirt off. Like who who doesn't want to see Big Gabe without a shirt on? That's that's top level. I think we saw Todd in there as well, which was uh, pretty incredible. So that sort of atmosphere feels really, really special. Um, a few years ago, we used to hold one at Pig's house 
called the Pigsty, which was an Australian tournament. I'm not too sure if you ever heard about that one, I but that was a lot of fun as well. Oh, well, me and Pig, actually, we know each other in real life. So I was actually the chef for the pigsty. And the way it worked would you'd bring $10, $15. That would get you in the door. And I have this really great butter chicken recipe. So I'd make enough butter chicken for like 30 or 40 people. And there'd be massive amounts of butter chicken. Eat as much as you want. People would bring meats as well. So we'd have sausages everywhere, steaks and stuff like that. And it's pretty much a token to get you in the door. And then we do the rest. And Pig live streamed the whole thing. I think the last one was honestly back in like... 2016 2017 so it's been a few years but those were the best those were freaking amazing and i imagine i've never been a home story but i hope it would be something like that it's not really about winning it's about playing and getting drunk and eating <laughs> <laughs> there was it's lots it. of drinking I, re I remember that yeah um it, it sounds like a previous guests on the podcast had mentioned home story cup as their you're not the first person to mention it as their as their favorite tournament uh, it really combines the, it's a professional production, the skill set of the players, but the fun aspect of, you know, like, like you said, big, big game in a pool or something like that. Um, here, big game being here, here, Marine and this pig style you're talking about, it sounds like a potluck combined with like streaming and Starcraft, like just everything that is fun, right? Just like food, Starcraft and like friends, like, does it get much better than that it, it doesn't really sound like it gets much better than that honestly so it was pretty amazing that's that's a really great memory um you know was it seven years later now you said 2016 something uh, like that it was a long time ago that you're still holding on to that's 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 wonderful to hear i think there only was like four of them you know that's uh i think pig does he, he still does have the festival but it's all online now because he does pig fest now but what Pigfest was before Pigfest was the Pigsty, where we Pigsty. went. We actually went to his house. You know, you went to Pig's actual apartment, mm -hmm. and we just cooked in the backyard there. He had a nice brick backyard where he had the barbecue, and that's where I spent most of my time cooking away. And um, he had a room set up with like eight or so computers. So I brought my computer to donate. Other Australian players would bring their own home desktops to set up the StarCraft event on. So it was very hodgepodge, but it was just enough, you know, to be able to make it happen. And it was so special. That's epic. Mm. Wow. Okay. Uh, a couple more questions here for the fan section. How many live events have you been to? I imagine that number is, is fairly up there. If you started competing in, in person in like, let's say 2014. Mm. Like, the, the live events kind of dropped off for a while. I went to a lot of the Pigsty events, so there's at least four there. I went to quite a few of the ASL events, so there'd be, like, another three or four there. And I went to a bunch of other events as well, so probably about 15 or 16 wow. live events, I would say. Wow. I will give you one that was really funny. That was a little anecdote. I went, there was a, a call out for like all these different games and they were showcast, showcasing new games as well. So this was the same year that The Division came out. So let me have a look. When did The Division release? So this was 2016. So this is perfect. So 2016, StarCraft is still fairly, fairly popping. But this particular event did a very poor job of advertising their StarCraft section. 
So I turn up and they've got prizes of like headsets and stuff like that. I was actually the only StarCraft player <laughs> in the entire event. Oh, wow. So they do this call for like any StarCraft players for the StarCraft scene. And I turn up with my laptop. I'm like, I'm ready to go, coach. Put me in. I'm GM. And there's literally no one else there. So they, they, they had to call out on the intercom again. Like, can we please get someone who wants to play StarCraft? <laughs> and then because they, what they needed was they needed someone to play enough games that they could have a replay to send to the organizer to say that these games actually got played. They needed to have some level of evidence that they attempted to make the StarCraft so someone didn't just pocket it. That player played one game against me and was like, nah, this isn't for me, I'm out. And then they gave me a headset, and that's that's one of the best events I've ever been. It was like a free headset. It was amazing. It was a Corsair something. It was like three hundred bucks at the time. It was pretty special. What a fun story! It's ridiculous. I... <laughs> no one turns up to events get a free gift. <laughs> that's that's really funny. Nobody nobody shows up, and you you win the headset. And, and a, a pretty good price headset. It sounds like $300. That's nothing. Well, they had prizes for second and third, but no one was second and third. Yeah, they, I would have just the like... The guy didn't even turn up. He played me. He could have gotten yeah. something. But he give, didn't. give me the second and third place. I'm, I'm here. Just, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Token guy. It was, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was good. Okay. The last question I had, Ed... Maybe we kind of already discussed it, but kind of local events in the past, it seems like we kind of went over that. Anything else you yeah, want? Yeah, that's it. No, nah, okay. that's pretty much it. Pigsty, these these small level events, I can't remember the names of. And the uh, ASL was what I mainly did. Okay. Uh, well, we're at the text-based Q&A with chat. I do have to say, I think this is the first podcast episode I've ever had where I really haven't seen anybody in the chat. And I guess it's not too surprising because, like you said, IEM has reruns of Katowice, or I don't know if they're if they're live right now. Oh yeah, but... they got one thousand seven hundred people watching. Okay, they're popping. So understandable why um, don't have anybody really on the podcast tonight. But this is typically the area where we'd have a Q and A. So I, I do apologize that there's no questions for you, but um, still appreciate. You know, we're already over the two hour mark. We're approaching two and a half hours here. It's been a wonderful chat with you, Sephiron. And I guess we can just jump straight into the outro here where you, the mic is yours, the floor is yours to plug your stream, uh, plug your socials, anything that you want to you wanna say. Yeah, guys. So you guys have heard from me. Play a lot. Do a lot of games. Get very passionate about it. So uh, my StarCraft uh, Twitch stream there, se2 underscore Sephiron. You can find me there at like any time you want. It'd be great if you come by and drop me that follow. I do post up there to YouTube where we've got a little bit more of the history, which is under the same name, SC2Sephiron, and uh, you'll find me there as well. Twitter, I don't really do too too much on, so I don't think we need to post that one too much. But yeah, guys, come uh, check me out. Drop me a follow. Just say something in chat. Tell me where you've come from. That'd be amazing. Awesome. Again, Zephron, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. I really appreciate the time you've taken for the pre-show interview and this almost, like I said, almost two and a half hours. Um, if, uh, well, I guess you're, nobody's really live with us here, but the, the podcast, of course, is always going to be on every major podcast platform, uh, Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, Stitcher, everything. It's going to be on there. And the VOD will also be up here on my YouTube channel. Again, Zephron, thank you so much. And, uh, Hope you have a great stream, 
and uh but really appreciate you dude yeah man it's a pleasure anytime all right take care everyone